בשם השם נעשה ונצליח שיעור תורה, ברוך השם, always good to be back in Avon Torah, continuing our series, ברוך השם, we are up to number 39 in our series of פרקי אבות, מוסר פרקי אבות, and ברוך השם, it's continuing to become more and more popular, more and more people are telling me that it's helping them in their life, whether it's helping them in their marriage, or it's helping them in their uh, conversions, or it's helping them in their tshuva, or it's helping them in their job, and mamash, a lot of different uh, aspects of it. Uh, I was looking at uh, some report today of emails. Uh, it said that uh, over 1,126 unique emails came in the last month uh, about this, Baruch Hashem, with different questions. And uh, Baruch Hashem, it's a, uh, a lot of people, a lot of emails, a lot of questions, and uh, a lot of uh, good things are happening as a result of it. Now we're going to continue today, but before we continue the Mishnah, we're up to Mishnah Perkei Avot Gimel Zayn, 3-7. But before we continue, there's a uh, public service announcement that uh, we have to uh, bring to everyone's attention, uh, which Bezrat Hashem is going to explain to everyone that's still sleeping, uh, explain to everyone that's still comfortably numb, that they're in danger and don't even know it. Now, if you all remember, a couple of months ago, we had a very big battle against the Satan himself, where uh, an Orthodox shul called Modern Orthodox, Orthodox, it's wanted to bring a Catholic missionary to speak in Boca Raton, Baruch Hashem, with the uh, mercy of Hashem, the, uh, the lecturer ended up canceling it. After a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into uh, fighting against the Satan himself and doing it. Now, one of the main things that uh, the, the naysayers, if you will, the people that... Uh, called me crazy, called me a lot of other names that are wonderful and I can't repeat, um, saying that, you know, in so many words, everyone agreed, the one that were going against it, that we're exaggerating. They're bringing a Catholic missionary to speak at an Orthodox synagogue is uh, not a bad thing. It's uh, if he's not going to be a missionary. If he's going to turn, you know, press the off button, and he's not going to be a missionary. He's going to be motivate us. He's going to talk to us about, I don't know, some other subject. And, you know, completely ignoring the f- reality of the fact that people will continue their relationship beyond the talk. And just like I got over 1,100 emails to deal with, 1,100 different people to deal with, new people to deal with over the last month, I'm sure you would have gotten just as many. We ignore that. Talk starts, talk ends, no one ever wants to talk to him again. Fine. It's an illusion. Fine. If he's not going to talk about it, he's not going to talk about J.C. Penny. If he's not going to talk about the False Testament, if he's not going to talk about all of these uh, different types of idol worshiping that Rahman al-Islam are saying God is three instead of God being one, all these different things that it says in the New Testament, it's saying it's, we're worried too much. And Jews in America, 
and other places in the Western world, but mostly America, are comfortably numb to such an extent that they're supporting idol worship without even knowing it, or sometimes knowing it but not really caring. Because they're saying, listen, institutions like uh, Jewish Federation, APAC, and all these different major organizations invest a ton of money, millions and millions of dollars, into Israel. Huge amount of money. They're investing into Israel. So we should, you know, and they're pro-Israel. So all the Zionists, the people that love Israel, some of them are religious, some of them are anti-religious, but let's just throw them all in one basket. All the Zionist mentality are saying, listen, let's work with our brothers, our brothers that are supporting us anyway. They're investing millions of dollars into Israel. Shrechem. You could worship your God, we'll worship our God, but listen, we'll both in it together. We're going to support Israel. And they're in denial of the sad reality that this investment that they're getting from the Christian and Catholic world is not really an investment, but rather a loan. A loan that's going to be called at some point. Alone, in a sense that they're not investing into Israel because all of a sudden the New Testament changed and said, listen, go support Israel. No. The New Testament says that only 144,000 Jews are going to survive. The rest of them are going to be Christians. The New Testament says one of their major jobs, one of their major missions as Catholics and Christians is to convert Jews to their idolatry. It's not mentioned once or twice, it's mentioned at least a half a dozen times. So the Jewish people that call themselves observant, call themselves orthodox, modern orthodox, or whatever, and but at the same time are very Zionistic and love Eretz Israel, invest in it, love it, Good. Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with the land. What is wrong is that they're taking this loan thinking that it's just a donation. They're taking the loan from the Christian world thinking that it's just they're just nice people. They're just wonderful people. Without realizing the sad reality what happened? Uh-huh. What's not working? Why is it not working? No, no, it has nothing to do with the battery. Why is it not working? Okay, let's just go. I'm just going to go. I'm not going to put a title on it. So, the... Is it working now? I think it was working before, and people just like to complain, personally, but... Uh, they always say, like the first few minutes, they mention that it's not working, I can't hear, it's not working, I can't hear, but then when you review the video, everything was there. Said so, whatever. We have the camera also as a backup. So, okay. We're back to the issue at hand. If it works or it doesn't work, don't tell me anymore because I'm losing my train of thought and uh, 
God bless you. So, you help me work on my midot. You help me work on my midot. Okay. So, back to the point. The point here is that a few months ago we had a situation. We were fighting against idolatry. We were fighting against the Chilul Hashem when a so-called Orthodox shul wanted to bring a Catholic missionary to speak at the shul simply because they were acting naive, thinking that he's not going to missionize inside their shul. This is the same attitude that Jews all over the Western world have towards Christianity and Catholicism, where they're welcoming them into major organizations, even letting them run major organizations like APAC and uh, the Jewish Federation and other types of organizations that if you look at the board of directors, if you look at the major donors, the major funders of these organizations, they're mainly Catholic and Christians especially evangelical, which their number one job is to missionize on a day-to-day basis. So, everyone is doing this simply because they're naive enough to believe the story that this is pure love, the Christians and the Catholics love the Jews, they feel bad about the Holocaust, they may very well feel bad about the Holocaust. I'm not saying they're all bad people. Let's not misunderstand or misconstrue what I'm saying here. But to say that they're investing into the Jewish world because they're go- they want you to remain Jewish is an outright lie. It's an outright lie that's proven day after day. And for all of those that still live in Boca Raton and all over the Western world that are in denial that we are in a silent Gogu Magog, we are in a silent world war, a spiritual world war, and also a physical world war. The problem is the physical world war, we're ignoring that it's actually even happening. We're ignoring the fact that Russia is about to press the atomic bomb button on any given day. We're ignoring the fact that if Iran, the minute they have an atomic bomb in their possessions, they're pressing the button without even directing the missile. They're just going to press it. Just go where it goes. We're ignoring the fact that North Korea will press the button six times, even if they only have one bomb. We're ignoring that. We're saying, no, no, everything's going to be okay. Donald Trump, this Trump and that Trump, and everyone is relying on Trump like he's Mashiach. He's not Mashiach. He's a human being. Seems like a nice guy. He's a human being. At the end of the day, as soon as he became a leader, of um, United States, some people say <laughs> Israel. Uh, as soon as he became a leader of the United States, according to our Torah, he no longer has free choice. We learn this from Sichon, we learn this from Nebuchadnezzar, we learn this from Paro, several different major figures in the Torah that Hashem took away their prirah, their free choice. Hashem is not going to let the fate of the Jewish people be determined by somebody else's free choice. But the point being here is that everyone's relying on him and the U.S. government and the history we have and the mentality of kochi ve'otzim yadi. You know, everything was done with my own power, my own strength, my own hands. I accomplished everything. I made the money. I achieved this. I got the degree. I'm the smart guy. 
is continuing to get us into a worse situation than we've ever been in. Anyone that thinks the Holocaust was the worst thing that ever happened to us never read about the Bet HaMikdash or about the end of days. Both, unfortunately, were worse and will be worse. Now, the silent physical war that we have, denied or not, there's facts. There's facts online. You can see what's happening. You can see how many people are dying every day. You can see how many bombs are being sent everywhere around the world. You can see. Despite all the fake news, there's still some news. You can say, listen, you can't fake the fact that a plane just dropped a bomb and you see the bomb dropping from the plane and exploded an entire town. It's not fake news. You see it. It happened. But the biggest problem is not that. The biggest problem is that we have a spiritual war going on right now and only very, very few in the Jewish world actually know it's actually happening. And that war is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual gogumagog that's slowly but surely trying to steal souls from Am Yisrael inside the most religious communities. If you were to tell me, listen, they're going to some small community comprised of six people in the middle of Montana, and a missionary went there and converted everyone to Christianity, even though you can't really convert out of Judaism, let's say they think they did. They sent the missionary, they sent one of these uh, Christian or Catholics to the middle of Montana, and he ended up taking over the six-person shul. All right, let's say, yeah, they don't know that much. There are six people. They're in the middle of the world. No one, you know, their best friend is the, you know, is the uh, guy that lives six miles away from them and the horse that is in their farm. What do they know about Judaism? They're in the middle of nowhere. Fine, I understand. But if you tell me that the missionaries are going inside New York, right next door to the biggest synagogues, if you tell me that the missionaries are going inside the biggest communities in Florida, and they're going and knocking on doors, then you see that you have a bigger problem than you can imagine. And when I said that we have a serious problem in Amisai in the religious world a few months ago, everyone that called me crazy said, no, missionaries are not going to come here. They're not here to missionize. They leave us alone. We leave them alone. We help them. They help us. It's neutral. Okay, neutral. Well, yesterday... I received this at my front door. Very nice, innocent-looking envelope. The camera can see. It says, a message of hope and gladness for the Jewish people. So there's no misunderstanding. This message is for Jewish people. It's not for Christians. It's not for Catholics. It's not for Muslims. It's not for the Chinese that you know, practice Buddhism. It's not for the 80,000 other religions in the world. This is specifically catered for Jews. It also has a very nice stamp. It looks like a stamp. It makes it look like it came from Israel. It didn't come from Israel, by the way. But it makes it look like it came from Israel. It has a little stamp, cute little Israel with a Jewish star on it and Hebrew word of Israel here. Looks very innocent. And you have a American flag meshed with a Israeli flag. Then you have this thing that looks like a stamp as if it was mailed, but in reality this is not a stamp. 
This leads you, if you actually have one of these QC scanners, and you read this, it leads you to a very interesting website. But you don't need to go to the website. All you need to do is you need to open the envelope. So you open the envelope, and you have a very nice, innocent-looking Jewish guy. He sent me, was nice enough to send me a DVD of his testimony, which has English, Russian, and Hebrew subtitles, just in case. And he's telling me it's a message of hope and gladness, specifically for the Jewish people. And he's Jewish. His name is Tom Cantor. It's kind of a strange Jewish name, but... And he sends me this letter, and he tells me he has this company, that he makes a lot of money in it, but this is not the real message. The message is something else. And then he has this book. Of, he tells you how he comes from an Orthodox Jewish family, which I believe is a lie, but that's needless to say. And his, fa- his grandfather was an Orthodox cantor and rabbi, but he still grew up as a secular Jew. And eventually, he leads you to the point which is Christianity which is idolatry, which is how he found J.C. Penney, how he found Jesus the Kufil, Jesus the heretic, Jesus the Rasha Merusha that the Gemara mentions in Masechet Sanhedrin, Masechet Gitin, Masechet Sota, and Masechet Shabbat. There's no end to the genome that he's in. But he's mentioning him in a nicer, nicer way than I am. So my fellow Jews... This is specific targeting. Not only targeting because the envelope said a a message of hope and gladness for the Jewish people, but obviously it was hand-delivered to my house. There's no stamp. There's no address. They're going door to door. Specifically targeting people that are Jewish. Obviously they don't know I speak against Christianity or else they would probably invest their money somewhere else. But for anyone that gets offended by me making fun of Christianity, you should know it's actually part of our Torah to make fun of Christianity, to make fun of idolatry. In the Gemara, Masechet Megillah, page 25b, Rav Nachman said, All mockery is forbidden except for the mockery of idolatry which is permitted and is a mitzvah. To make fun of people, call people names, oh, he's this and he's that, not allowed. To make jokes in the middle of Shiur Torah, Rabbi Eliezer ben Orkino says, the beginning of doing such a thing is suffering and the ending is death in a strange way. Meaning you go to Shiur Torah, but you like to joke around, you'll be one of those guys that makes a joke in the middle of the Shiur takes away everyone's attention, and everyone's serious, they're about to do tshuva, they're about to keep Shabbat, they're about to change one of their midot, somebody wants to be funny, throws a joke in the middle of the shiur, lighten it up a little bit, it's really tense. Abidezer ben Hokino says, that person, the beginning of his punishment, will be suffering in this world, and the end will be strange death. Well, you just made a joke. Yeah, you made a joke, but you ruined the entire shiur. So mockery, very, very thin line 
making jokes, not always allowed. They say you can start a shield with a, with a uh, joke. It's a good way. Lines up the environment. But be careful when else you use it. Even to use it in the middle of a shoe, you have to be careful with. You can't just throw jokes the whole time and make the Torah look like a joke. It's time and a place to do it. But there is one place specifically where you could always joke around. You could always make fun of. What is it? Idol worship. You could always make fun of J.C. Penny, J.C. the Kofel, Jesus the Womanizer, all these wonderful names that he has. You can make up names. You can write a whole book of names about it. Why? Because it goes against God. Once something goes against God to such an extent, you're allowed, and not only allowed, but it's actually a mitzvah. It's one of the 613 mitzvot to make fun of it. So now, why do I mention this? Is it to, do I, that I, do I need to prove to people that I'm not crazy? I'm not just some anxious person that's worried about everything? No. Why am I worried? I'm worried because if you go to this Rasham Elusha's website, you see their mission statement. And the mission statement is that they're going to have a summer blitz. And they've already sent over 2 million of these packages in America. Do you know how much one of these packages cost? They were millions of dollars. Over 2 million of them were already sent, and they're going to be sending millions more over the summer as a summer blitz, they call it. Where is it going? To the Muslim neighborhoods? To Chinatown? To the Christian church? Where is it going? going to Boca Raton. It's going to Aventura. It's going to all the Jewish neighborhoods all over America. And by the way, they don't care if you're religious or not. They have no care whatsoever if you're religious or not. As a matter of fact, the more religious you are, the more they want you. They're very quick to tell you, hey, look, open Isaiah 53. In the book of Daniel, in the book of this, they tell you all these different books that most yeshiva kids don't learn anyway. And if you're a naive, ignorant person, it's very easy to believe their foolishness. But once you learn to offer a little bit, you realize that everything's a complete lie. And by the way, at the end of this, we're going to be burning this because that's also a mitzvah. So my dear friends, all over the Western world, all over the world in general. If you're listening to me in Israel, if you listen to me in America, in Canada, anywhere, anywhere there's a Jew, I'm here to tell you, you are in danger. You are in danger and you don't even know it. Because as we read in last week's Shiu, This is a prophecy we've already had for over 4,000 years. Yaakov Avinu prayed to Hashem. The fact that he was the top of the top. Israel is named after him. The fact that his father was Gdoladori, Tzchak Avinu. 
His grandfather began monotheism. Avraham Avinu began Judaism. All 12 of his sons, Tzadikim Gmurim, all prophets. 12 tribes of Israel. Yaakov Avinu cries with big tears to Hashem. Not small tears. Not the half a tear like we're pretending we're crying. He's crying to Hashem because he knows there's a danger. A present danger that's in plain daysight, but nobody wants to pay attention to. And he's trying to give us a little hint 4,000 years later. He's saying, Atzileni na miyad achi miyad esav ki erea nochi oto pen yavo v'ikani em al banim. Rescue me please from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esav, for I fear him, lest he come and strike me down, mother and children. So as we mentioned last week, there's a superfluous word here, where Yaakov Avinu is telling us something very, very critical. He's praying to Hashem to help him. But he's saying, help me from my brother, help me from Esav. Both are the same thing. His brother is Esav, the only brother he has. And Esav is his brother. So why are you mentioning, help me from my brother, help me from Esav? Just say, help me from my brother, or help me from Esav. Why mention both? And Beta Levi mentions that the reason why is because he's referring to two different things, two different sides of Esav. Esav, that's Edom, we know he's Esav. Why? He's trying to kill us physically. He's Rome. He's the Greeks. He's the Nazis. He's the obvious ones. He's the one that wants to kill the flesh and blood. Wants to destroy it, eliminate it. But my brother, my brother, we don't know who he is. My brother, we don't know. He could even be a Jew. He could even be the guy that says he wants to help the Jews by helping invest $300 million into Israel every year. Built plants and kibbutzim and all types of things. He can say that he loves us. He can say that he supports us. He can say that he'll fight for us. He looks like me. He thinks like me. He even speaks the same language as me. In America or in Israel. But Yaakov Avinu is saying, he's not me. And he doesn't want my interest. He's trapping me. He's trapping me inside my own house. So for everyone that feels safe in their homes in America, in their Jewish neighborhoods in America, know the spiritual war is coming. If it didn't arrive at your house yet, and you didn't get one of these wonderful DVDs full of idol worship, it's coming. And if it's not from this guy, from this clown, it's coming from somebody else. If it's not coming from this church, it's coming from a different church. If it's not outright Christianity or Catholicism, it's a version of it. Messianic Judaism, they call themselves. 
all types of other forms of Christianity. All of it, idol worship. If you're feeling comfortable in your home, start feeling uncomfortable. You and your kids are in danger. You think I'm crazy? I'm in the business, and they sent me one of them. I'm the last guy you send it to. If you pick a list of all the people you send it to, I'm somewhere in the last. You send it to the ignorant person who doesn't know who God is. You send it to the guy who just heard there's a God. You send it to the guy that doesn't really want to keep anything, but if you give him a way out, he'll like you. You send it to the guy, all types of people you send it to. Me, last guy you send it to. But they brought it straight to my door. Why? They don't care. You're Jewish, we want you. You know, the army, the U.S. Army used to have the uh, commercial. We want you in, whatever it said. Very encouraging. A lot of people sign up to the army because of it. Well, the intention of the Catholic and Christian church is to do the same with the Jewish world. They believe they're doing you a favor. They believe they're saving you. So unless we wake up and realize that we're in present danger... They're going to win. They're going to win one soul after another, after another, after another. And unless we start waking up, the danger will continue getting bigger. So, let's wake up. We're going to continue with our Mishnah Avot. Rabbi Chalafta ben Dosa איש כפר חנניה אומר, עשרה שיושבים ועוסקים בתורה, שכינה שרויה ביניהם, שנאמר, אלוהים ניצב בעדת אל. ומניין אפילו חמישה, שנאמר, ואגודתו על ארץ יסדה. ומניין אפילו שלושה, שנאמר, בקרב אלוהים ישפוט. ומניין אפילו שניים, שנאמר, אז נדברו ירא אדוני איש אל רעהו ויקשב אדוני וישמע. ומניין אפילו אחד, שנאמר בכל המקום אשר אזכיר את שמי, אבוא אליך וברכתיך. Translation, רבי חלפתא בן דוסה of כפר חנניה says, If ten people sit together and engage in Torah study, the Shekhinah, the divine presence, is present among them. As it says in Psalm 82 verse 1, God stands in the, in the assembly of, of God, how do we know this is true even if there's only five people? Because it says by the prophet Amos chapter 9 verse 6, he has established his bundle upon earth. And how do we know this is true, meaning that the Shekhinah continues to be present even if there's only three people, not ten and not five? For it says in Psalm 82.1, In the midst of judges he shall judge. And how do we know this is true even if there's only two people? Because it also says by the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verse 16, Then those who fear Hashem spoke to one another, and Hashem listened and heard. And how do we know this is true even if there's only one person? Because it also says in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 21, in every place where I cause my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. Very deep 
Mishnah for the simple meaning. And we'll go over it. So in the beginning of the Mishnah, first we need to know who we're dealing with. As we always start the Mishnayot, it says all these names that no one, none of us have ever heard of, unless you've learned Mishnah, or you learned Gemara, or you learned different works of the Oral Torah, like the Zohar, and so on. But most of us that are new to Judaism never heard of who this Rabbi Chalafta ben Dosa is. We heard of Rabbi Akiva, we heard of Moshe Rabbeinu, we heard of a lot of different major names. But this is not a name that's easy on the tongue, if you will. When, you, when you're listening to Shuret Torah online, you don't see Rabbi Chalafta by this rabbi, Rabbi Chalafta by that. Everyone's talking about Rabbi Chalafta. Who is this Rabbi Chalafta? First and foremost, we know Rabbi Chalafta was the leader of Kfar Hananya. Kfar Hananya, Kfar is like a town, small town. Now, anytime it says Ish, as we mentioned in the previous uh, Shuim, anytime it says Ish Kfar, that means, doesn't mean literally, Ish means person. But Ish Kfar means the leading person, the head, the head of the town. The second thing we know about Rabbi Chalafta is that he was a fifth generation Tana and a student of Rabbi Meir Baranes. And he's mentioned by name because he's also one of the few that was able to revive the dead. You have a question? You're raising your hand or you're just not comfortable? Oh. So Rabbi Chalafta is mentioned by name because he was very much a big deal. And Rabbi Chalafta is telling us few things that are very, very interesting. First he starts and he says this. If ten people sit together and engage in Torah study, ten people sitting, learning Torah, the divine presence is present among them and he uses the Source mentioned in the uh, book of Psalms, Sefer Teilim, number 82, verse 1, as the source, which in so many words, he's telling you this. If you have ten people, like we have right now, learning Torah, Hashem stops everything he's doing, leaves the heavens, he tells his angels, I want to attend the Shield Torah. I want to see what they're learning. That's what he's saying. Shechina is not Hashem himself, but it's the feeling that you would get of God being present. That's what the Shekhinah is. Now, in the verse that he's using, God stands in the assembly of, uh, of God, in the book of Psalms, how does he know that this is referring to the same thing? And the source says that the word assembly, which is in Hebrew, Aidat, Ayn Dalit Taf is uh, used a couple of times in the Torah 
and both times it's referring to ten people. Where is it mentioned uh, that's ten people? The first time that it's mentioned is in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 27, when Hashem is talking about the Meraglim, the spies. When Am Yisrael was in a desert, Hashem says, you're not going to be in a desert forever. The goal was to take you out of Egypt, bring you to Mount Sinai, and then bring you to the land of milk and honey. Supposed to be relatively quick, direct trip. Egypt, Mount Sinai, Israel. Despite the complaints and the sins we've made, despite complaining to Hashem and thinking He's going to starve us, complaining to Hashem thinking He's going to kill us, complaining to Hashem about everything we could possibly complain about, and even bringing an actual idol to the same location He gave us the Torah. While Moses is getting the Torah, despite all of this, Hashem said, I'm going to give you the land of milk and honey. I'm going to give it to you. Yes, moments ago I wanted to destroy you because you were just worshipping an idol. And yes, moments ago I wanted to destroy you because you went against Moshe Rabbeinu. Him you questioned, but the people that brought you the idol worship, you didn't question. It's like today. The doctor and the lawyer, no one questions. Your life's on the line. You're going to go to jail if the lawyer's wrong. You're going to die if the doctor's wrong. Nobody asks him a question. You ever see anybody say, oh, doctor, I don't think you, I, I think I, I think when I get a second opinion or a third opinion or a fourth opinion. No, no. Doctor has a big degree, has a nice office, which obviously made because he makes a lot of money. He didn't uh, make it because he's such a wonderful person. He makes he successful. Why is he successful? He has a lot of surgeries. He has a lot of procedures. Doesn't necessarily mean he's good. Which means he has a lot. Which is the reason why the Gemara says the best of doctors goes to Gehenom. Doesn't necessarily mean that every doctor goes to Gano. What does it mean? The most successful doctor, if he's wicked, if he's not a tzaddik, then just like everyone else on Rosh Hashanah prays, we all pray for same thing. Help me with the family, help me with the kids, help me with this, help me with that. But the main thing that everyone prays for is help me with money. So the doctor that's the best doctor is also saying, help me with money. Give me more money. But what does it mean? It means he wants more sick people. Because the only way he's going to get more money is if there's more sick people. So he says, him, this Rasha, he's going to gain them. But people don't ask questions about the doctor. Your life's on the line. You're not going to ask him any questions. You're too scared. The lawyer, the lawyer is telling you, listen, you win this case, you have to pay me. You lose the case, you have to pay me. Oh, so what's the difference? No, no, you just have to pay me. Nothing's the difference, really. But if you lose, it's terrible. I feel bad for you. I'll send you a card. Using the money you paid me with. Nobody asked the lawyer a question. But the rabbi that says, listen, it says in the Shulchan Aruch in seven places, and Mechalel Shabbat is considered 100% idol worship. A Jew that is a violator and desecrates Shabbat in the open, knowing that Shabbat is real, knowing that Shabbat is something that Hashem gave us, just doesn't care, wants to drive on Shabbat. 
Wants to smoke a cigarette on Shabbat. Wants to play with his phone on Shabbat. Wants to do all these melachot on Shabbat. The Shulchan Aruch in seven different places says he's considered 100% an idol worshiper and his Judaism is on suspension. When I say that it mentions this in the written Torah 12 times, or in the Zohar, or in the Gemara, all no sifret tzaddikim, like, no, 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 show me the source, show me where it says it. Maybe it's a different meaning, maybe that's your pirush. There's 70 faces to the Torah, they say. So maybe you understood it wrong. There's nothing to understand wrong, it's literal. It literally says it. It's not like an insinuation. But how come the other rabbi doesn't say it? How come my rabbi for the last 25 years didn't say it and I've been driving my Ferrari there every Shabbat? I come to Nets prayer with my car. How come he never told me? I don't know why he didn't tell you. It's not my problem. It's your problem. Your problem is that you have such a rabbi. That's not really a rabbi. But they ask questions. They don't want to believe that this is what it says. When I told people last week that if they go through a conversion to a conservative or reform bedin, it's considered zero. It's considered like they did not do a conversion. And the reason why is because the bedin is comprised of people that are not considered agunim. They're not considered fair and righteous people. Because the conservative organizations and the reform alike do things that openly desecrate Hashem's name and the Torah. They say that parts of the oral Torah are not real. They say that you're allowed to drive on Shabbat. They say that Hashem didn't really mean it when he said that homosexuality is forbidden and is considered disgusting in his eyes, the equivalent of bestiality. They say all these things. And it's not that I'm saying they said it. You can actually look it up online. They wrote articles about every single thing I just mentioned to you. There's a conservative rabbi that wrote an article last year about how he doesn't believe that Hashem actually is against homosexuality. The fact that it mentions it at least a half a dozen times in the Torah, he ignores it. The fact that even the Christian idolaters know that it says it in the Torah. But the conservative and reform says, no, 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 Hashem didn't mean it. That would be mean. Hashem is not mean. So, all of these people are openly desecrating Hashem and Hashem's Torah. Therefore, you're not allowed to use them for conversion. And if you did, I'm sorry for you, you made a mistake. You're not considered halachically Jewish. So when I said this, oh Hashem, some people woke up, contacted me, and they want to convert Orthodox. But a few started debating me. Like I made up the rule. Like I wrote this in the Shulchan Aruch. Like I wrote it in the Alachot Gerim. I wrote it. Like I, I'm the one that made this up. Like what's my opinion again? It has nothing to do with my opinion. This is what's written. Someone that's considered a mean. A mean means that he's someone that's openly going against the Torah and trying to bring other people with him. 
The Gemara Maseret Rosh Hashanah, page 17a, says that person, that mean, the Genom that he goes into never ends, even after Mashiach. And the Rambam writes, Nilchot Tshuva, you're not even allowed to let him do Tshuva. Don't help him do Tshuva. He's that bad. The guy that was an idol worshiper, but he didn't try to missionize people. He was just an idol worshiper by mistake. He didn't know. His parents were idol worshippers. He became an idol worshiper. Eventually he woke up. He came to the bed and says, listen, I want to be a Jew. I want to be righteous. I want to be a Noahide even. Whatever he wants to be. He wants to do tshuva. Help him. Help him. Invest in him. Love him and care for him. If he wants to convert to Judaism, you have to. You have to love him more than a natural born Jew. If a goy writes a Sefer Torah, goy writes a Sefer Torah, you have to bury it. You can't use it. But a mean, a mean, someone that's a missionary, someone that is trying to bring people against Hashem, writes a Sefer Torah, you have to burn it. Meaning he's even worse than someone that's not Jewish and even could potentially be an idolater himself. Even if that mean is Jewish, even if that mean is a reformed Jew, he's potentially worse than an idolater. So the Gemara, the Rambam, the Shulchan Aruch, the Zohar, everywhere. It's not my opinion. But they want to debate. Debate this, debate that. Doctor didn't want to debate. Lawyer didn't want to debate. The accountant didn't want to debate. IRS, they wouldn't even say a word to them. But anyone talking about the truth, they want to debate them until their face turns blue, and even after you prove them wrong, they start a new one. They start a new debate. Just for the sake of debating. So now, Rabbi Chalafta Ben Dosa is telling us something critical. He's telling us that these miraglim is where we learn about the whole concept of an assembly meaning ten. But at the same token, he's reminding us of how we messed up. How we messed up. Despite bringing idol worshiper, idol worshiper being to Mount Sinai. Hashem forgave us. He said, I'm still going to give you the land. I was going to kill you moments ago, but Moses prayed for you. And I forgave. As it says in the Gemara, Masechet Baba Batra, page 116a, anyone that has a sick person in their home should go to a Talmud Chacham. So unfortunately, Am Yisrael was in a position where they had many sick people, spiritually sick. Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for them. Hashem says, okay, I won't destroy them. I'll give them the land. What does everybody say? All right, can we go check it first? You know, when somebody wants to lend, you know, sell you an apartment, say, oh, before I buy it, can I check it? It's reasonable. Before you spend a half a million dollars in an apartment, you want to check it. Even if before you rent an apartment for a couple thousand dollars a month, you want to check it? No problem. But if somebody's giving it to you for free, you're still going to check it? 
So he says, listen, Amos, I got this car. I think it's a Ferrari. I think it's a Ferrari. You may or may not agree, but it's free. Are you going to ask me, can you show me a picture? Are you going to ask me how fast is the drive? Or are you just going to focus on making sure that I deliver on my promise say, okay, just park over here, please. Right over here. Bring it over here. Just bring it. Just bring it. Don't worry about if it's good, if it's bad, if it works or it doesn't, if it's red or it's blue. It doesn't make a difference. It's free. Especially with my other choices to walk in the middle of the desert. It's not like they're exactly in Taj Mahal right now. They're in the middle of the desert. Hashem says, I'm going to send you to the land of milk and honey, the greatest part of earth. I'm going to give it to you for free. Instead of being in a desert with the scorpions and snakes, you're going to go to the land of milk and honey. What do we say? Can we check it out a little bit first? Can we check it? Wasn't such a good idea. So we sent 12 people to check it. Out of the 12, two were tzaddikim. Joshua, Yeshua ben Nun, and Kalev, Kalev ben Yefuneh. The other 10 were also big rabbis. The other 10 were also Gdoleado, leaders of the tribes. They weren't like uh, no names. Leaders, giants, big speakers. YouTube channels with at least 50, 100 million watchers. All famous. Millionaires. They also went to check it. They came back. They didn't say nice words. And out of the 12, 10 came back with bad information and said Lashonara about the land of milk and honey. Not even about the people, but about the land of milk and honey they spoke against. And Hashem said, for them I want to destroy them. I want to destroy all of them. But as Moshe Rabbeinu, as Moshe Rabbeinu is praying for us again. Fine. I won't destroy them. But not one of them is going to enter the land. So for the next, instead of going to Israel, the land of milk and honey, leaving the scorpions and the snakes in the desert, Next week, we're supposed to be in the greatest place on earth. We have to stay in the desert with the scorpions and snakes and scary things for the next 40 years. And the Gemara says that every year, part of the generation died. When? Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, they die. So what would happen, since there would be so many people die every year? What does Gemara says? Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, everyone would dig their own grave. And they would sleep in the grave. Because they didn't know if they're going to wake up the next day. So at least they don't want to make it hard for everybody else. 100,000 people are going to die. It's very hard for everybody to bury them. So at least I'm going to dig my own grave. Imagine doing that for 40 years. Imagine. For what? Not taking Hashem's word. Not having emunah and bitachon and Hashem. So not, he's telling you, listen, jump off a bridge, I'll catch you. He's not saying that. He's saying, listen, you're in a desert. Your best friend's a scorpion. Your neighbor is a snake. That's what you have. You're living 100% by miracle, 
Instead, I'm going to give you the entire globe, the best part. What are you saying? Can I check it? Hashem, can I, can, I, can I see it first? Can you show me a, a Facebook page? Can you show it to me on uh, Google uh, Maps? Can I go see it? Can I spend a week there? This is us. It's no different than us. Hashem gives us 613 mitzvot. We say, can I, can I check it? Can I try it out for a little while before I really commit? Tell the guy, listen, you got to keep Shabbat. Hashem's serious about Shabbat. I'll keep this, you know, first few hours. I'll come for the Kiddush. I'll come for the Kiddush like you're doing me a favor. Like you're doing Hashem a favor. I'll come for the Kiddush. I'll come to eat. Hashem created Shabbat for you to eat. Cow also eats. If you want somebody to eat, just make cows. So first and foremost, understand where we got the word assembly. Second is, it's a, it's a reminder. Second is, the power of a minyan. In the Gemara, Masechet Brachot. How are we doing Masechet Brachot? Moving? Satashem. Brachot says some interesting things about the power of a minyan. Power of being in a bit knesset, praying with the tzibur, praying with nine other people. On page 6a, Abba Binyamin says, a person's prayer is heard only if he recites it in a synagogue. So Lechem Mishneh was saying, what does it mean? He's saying that if a guy prays by himself, Hashem doesn't hear the prayer. No, obviously not. How do we know? Even Abaye, Abaye mentioned in almost every single page in the Gemara, for many years prayed by himself. But what does it mean? It means that a prayer that's offered in a synagogue is prayed with a minyan. A synagogue is a mini beta mikdash. Even though people treat it like it's a coffee shop, and they come and they hang out and they talk and they this and they that, Be'emet, 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 really, really, really. Synagogue, this synagogue, any kosher synagogue is a mini Bet HaMikdash. That's what you have to think about when you go to the Bet Knesset. Before you start, you know, talk all these shtuyot, all the nonsense that people talk about. Oh, do you see the baseball game? Oh, do you see the stock market? Oh, do you see everything that's not relevant to Tvilah and Kedushah? Before you say it, just know you're doing it inside Bet HaMikdash. Inside, not outside. Outside, it's already a problem. Doing it inside, it's like not only are you not allowed to do it outside and waste your time, we already talked about that last week, but to do it in Hashem's face inside His house, Kavachomer, needless to say how much worse it is. 
But what are you doing? You come and you want to talk about baseball instead of Bet Mikdash. Come and you want to talk about the stock market. You want to talk about politics. You want to talk about what Trump should do and what he shouldn't do. Everybody all of a sudden is a politician and a political leader. Everyone wants their opinions heard. This guy in this Bet Knesset I used to go to, Mamash, every Shabbat I would go in, the guy would stand from the beginning, an hour before tefillah, because I came to an early minyan one time, he was already an hour before tefillah outside of the, of the door, and he stayed in the same place outside of the tefillah at least two hours after tefillah, meaning he's there for four or five hours. What is he talking about? Politics. Him and one or two other people. Trump should do this, Hillary should do this, Osama bin Laden should do this, Obama should do this, Arafat should do this, everybody. All of a sudden, this is CNN outside of the Bitneset. At least he did it outside. The problem is, there's many like him inside. The fact that he's doing it outside is already bad enough. The fact that it's Shabbat is already bad enough. There's many doing it inside. And I was lucky enough that they always sat right behind me. Tikkun. So just so you know, before you say shtuyot in the Bet Knesset, just remember, it's a mini Bet HaMikdash. Chazal is telling us that when you pray to Hashem, pray in a minyan. Why? VIP. VIP treatment. It's ten people praying to Hashem. That's something complete. Ten commandments. Complete. Anything that's complete is signified by the number 10. The numbers 1 through 9 have to add two numbers to equal completion. 1 plus 9 equals 10. 2 plus 8 equals 10. And so on and so forth. 10 is complete. It says when you pray in a minyan, you're complete. You pray by yourself, it's not always complete. And the reason why, when you pray by yourself, you have to have a hundred percent kavanah. Now, I can tell you from my own personal experience, many times I have better prayer when I'm by myself. Many times. My prayer is much better kavanah when I pray by myself than when I pray with a minyan. Many times in the past, I used to talk to my Rav all the time, and I tell him, listen, why do I need to go to Beknesset? I pray much better by myself. I go to Beknesset, the guys behind me are talking, this guy's drink, drinking coffee, this guy's talking about baseball, this guy's a politician. What do I need to deal with all this stuff for? Why do I... At home, at home in my little room, with my books, the holy books, everything else is going on. Ketusha! Better Kavanah! It's true. Beknesset, not always. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. My Rav tells me, read this Gemara. What does Abba bin Yamin say here? He says, when you are in the Beknesset, your tefillah is always heard. Why is it always heard? Because Hashem takes the best of everyone's tefillah, the best part of everyone, and makes it one. So you had Kavanah the first five minutes. He had Kavanah the next two minutes when you didn't. The next guy had Kavanah the following four minutes. The next guy had Kavanah the following ten minutes. Everybody had you complete Kavanah, best Kavanah, best meaning of everyone. He takes it together, packages it, goes VIP to Ganeidin.
because Hashem took the best pieces of everybody. When you're alone, listen, you have serious kavanah, shrecha, but you have serious kavanah every time. Every time you have serious kavanah. Well, you didn't always, middle of the night, say, ah, I don't really want to pray right now. I don't really want to pray. Come on, Hashem, can you just let this one go? I don't really want to pray all week. It's 12 o'clock at night, it's 1 o'clock in the morning, I forgot, and I remembered, I want to go to sleep, I'm tired. All the excuses in the world. Hashem, you really need my prayer? Okay, okay, fine, Hashem. Okay, fine, you start praying. You're like looking, you can't wait for the prayer to finish. You don't have to. Yesterday you had Kavanah, you were Tzadik, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was looking at you, he's like, wow, Tzadik. Today, like, he's Jewish? Who is this guy? You don't, have, you don't even want to pray, Bechlal. Why? You're in a bad mood. You don't feel like it. Since for those days, you don't have Kavanah. Focus. You get nothing. That's where you go to Bechlal. For those days, which unfortunately for most of us is majority of days, once in a while you're going to have the best prayer alone at home. Once in a while, once a week, twice a week. Maybe more, maybe less, but once in a while you're going to have the best prayer. But the majority of the time, you can't wait to finish. The majority of the time, you're not even thinking about prayer while you're praying. You're thinking about what you're going to do after the prayer. Oh, I can't wait to finish this prayer so I can drink my coffee. You're praying for 40 minutes thinking about coffee. Hashem, save us. Hashem, help us. Hashem, oh, I can't wait till I have coffee. Hashem, please do this. I can't wait. The coffee's going to be delicious. So one mind, Yetzirah is telling you, no, pray already, pray. Yetzirah is saying, the coffee is so delicious, you can't, you can't smell it? How could you still pray? The whole time you're thinking about coffee. It's not like you're thinking about, listen, I'm going to go uh, commit murder. You're not a shah. Normal person. You're thinking about coffee. You're thinking about, oh, did I close the door in my car? The whole time, 40 minutes you're praying, you're thinking about, did I close the door? Did I lock it? Is somebody going to steal my car? Hashem, are you going to let somebody steal my car while I'm praying to you? Hashem, really? You're going to make somebody steal my car? The whole time you're debating with Hashem, is somebody going to steal your car? Because maybe you forgot it, locked or unlocked. Is the stock market up? Is the stock market down the whole time? You're not thinking about Hashem. You're not thinking about prayer. That's the majority of the time, my friends. That's the majority of the time for all of us. I'm not the only Rasha here. That's why you go to Bet Knesset. But you have to find a kosher minyan. If your Bet Knesset is a church, you can't go. If your Bet Knesset is a reform, you can't go. If your Bet Knesset is conservative, you can't go. If your Bet Knesset is full of Mechalele Shabbat and they don't have 10 people that are Shomre Shabbat, you don't bother going. Because if the guy is a Mechalele Shabbat, he can't be part of a Minyan. Because like we said earlier, Shulchan Aruch says he's an idol worshiper. Idol worshiper is not considered part of a Minyan, my friends. I know this hurts. I know all of us have family members that are Mechalele Shabbat, friends, and so on. Such is life. I didn't write it. Hashem wrote it. If you have a problem, go to him. But the reason why you go to the Bet Knesset, the reason why you go to the mini Bet Mikdash, is you can talk to Hashem and make sure he hears it. You do it at home, you do it alone. 
unless you have a lot of kavana, you have a problem. And even when you have a lot of kavana, you have to add a little twist to it. What's the twist? Pray alone, but pray at the same time that the minyan is praying. Don't just pray randomly at 3.30 in the afternoon. It's a close minyan. Someone that's praying, your minyan back at home, some minyan that's a kosher minyan that you can't go to right now, but you know that every day they pray mincha at five. You pray at five. You know that every day they pray arvit at eight. You pray at eight. If you can't attend the minyan, at least you can do for yourself, is pray at the same time they do. Right. Mm-hmm. Heard meaning accepting. So it's a misuse, of, mis- misuse of, of the word by me. So he hears all prayers, but he only accepts some. So for example, Shlomo HaMelech tells us something significant about prayer. In the uh, book of Proverbs, Shlomo Melech is telling us there's some people that are wicked. But they're not wicked because they don't know anything. They're wicked because they just don't feel like it. They don't feel like keeping Shabbat. They want to drive. They want to go to the beach. They don't feel like being modest. They want to wear underwear. By the way, do you guys all realize that the tank tops and the shorts that people walk around with, just in the previous generation, they were all considered underwear? Like tank tops that women walk around with, or guys walk around with, just when I was a kid, they were all considered underwear. Like if somebody walked around into the, you know, walked into the shul with boxer shorts or briefs and a tank top, you'd say, why are you walking around like that? But if he does it anywhere else, there's nothing wrong with it. Because people are walking around like this. So if somebody does it knowingly, knows that Hashem hates zima, hates immodesty, and he still stays immodest, she still stays immodest, because she wants the guys to look at her. She wants to stay immodest because she wants the attention. He wants to stay Michal Shabbat because... He wants to make money on Shabbat. And all these different types of things. And they try to justify it by praying once in a while, reading Tehillim once in a while. So Shlomo HaMelech says the following about them. Mesir no mishmoa Torah, gam tefilato toeva. If one turns, a, turns aside his ear from hearing the Torah, even his prayer will be considered disgusting meaning when one knows there's a shield Torah but he says no I'm gonna go to the club instead I'm gonna go to the bar instead I'm gonna go watch sports instead of going to shield Torah or one says listen I know the rabbi said you have to keep Shabbat but I don't feel like doing it I know the rabbi says you have to be modest but I don't feel like it I'll pray tomorrow for it Oh, you're going, you're running away from Torah, words of Torah. You don't want to listen to them? 
your prayer that you're going to pray to me tomorrow with a minyan or without a minyan is going to be considered disgusting to Hashem. Disgusting. So yes, Hashem hears all, everything, except there's a different story. If someone is intentionally going against him, there's no reason for Hashem to accept his prayer. Now, on the other hand, when someone is in a minyan, he's in a bet knesset, he has to understand that by being in one of Hashem's houses, you have a responsibility. Not just a responsibility for your own neshama, and a responsibility to act accordingly in front of Hashem Barach, but also you have a responsibility of arvut, of the people around you. So the same Gemara in the previous page says the following. Sometimes there are people that you see in Beknesset, they come to Beknesset, but they're in a hurry. As soon as they walk in, they're already in a hurry to leave. You ever see those people? They walked in the prayer, but they're already in a hurry. They, they can't wait to finish. They're already, you haven't started Alenu Shabach, they already left. You started the Amidah the second time to go over with the rest of the Minyan, they're out. They have a meeting. They have a this, they have a that. They have all types of reasons of why they're doing it. Right? So the Gemara talks about them. So don't go against me. Go against the Gemara if you want. You have a problem? He says, not even if there's a minyan. He's talking about even if there's only two people. If there's two people in a synagogue, came to pray in a synagogue, and one of them decided to leave in the middle of prayer, my, the second guy is still praying. He finished his prayer. First guy finished his prayer. Second guy is still praying. You know, today, there's different speeds. Some people have normal speed. Some people somehow can read faster than Rav Avadya. They barely speak Hebrew, they barely speak English, they barely speak any language, but somehow they can read the whole prayer in two seconds. The guy can't spell Torah, but somehow he read the whole thing in two seconds. It's unbelievable how fast these people read. But anyway, he says, okay, so we have one of these fast, speedy readers. And he said, I finished. You're still reading. That's your problem. I'm leaving. He leaves. It says his prayer is tossed aside in front of him. Tofin lo tfilato bepanav. Velo od, ela shegorem leshchina shetistalek mi Israel. He says, they take his prayer in Shemaim and they throw it in his face. This is a prayer. They throw it in his face. Why do they throw it in his face? Because how can you pray to Hashem Barach? when at the same time you're causing the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence that hovers over Am Yisrael, to get so upset over the entire nation because you walked out of a shul. You walked out of a shul in the middle of prayer because you had an appointment, you had this, you had that, whatever you had. You walked out in the middle, everybody's still praying. Take your prayer, take everything, because it's not worth anything. It's not worth anything. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. No, in the middle of Shmona the Gemara in Barachot says, even if you have a snake on your leg, you're not allowed to move. If a snake, Chas somebody has a snake 
on his leg, in the middle of Shmonaisa, in the middle of Amida. You're going to read it in Masechet Bechot, it's a little later and where you are. Gemara says you have a snake. Snake goes into a little synagogue, climbs your leg. Climbs your leg. You're in the middle of Shmonaisa. The key part of prayer. So you're not allowed to move. You have to continue praying. But if it's a scorpion, stop. Why? Snake's not 100% going to kill you. Scorpion for sure. Snake! You don't stop. So obviously somebody makes noise. Somebody does this, somebody does that. If you can't stop for a snake, you can't stop for a person. So the prayer, when you're in the middle of Amidah, it's not the time for you to rebuke. You have to pray. You have to do your thing. You have to do your mission. You have to pray for, to Hashem to forgive him. You have to pray to Hashem to forgive Am Yisrael for having you know, such uh, people that have no clue what's going on. Understand, it's a bad midot and so on. Pray for him. But after you finish, after you finish the tefillah, try to contact this person that walked out in the middle of prayer and tell him, listen, I understand that you, uh, maybe you don't know, but uh, I just learned in the shiur, or I learned in the gemara, that uh, when you walk out of prayer in the middle, not only is it not good for you, it's actually not good for all of Am Yisrael. You're actually hurting all of us. So if you can do me a favor, stay an extra two minutes. Finish. Let everybody else finish. Don't just walk around. Don't walk out. You maybe don't care about you, but I care about me. So if you like me, we're friends. Do me a favor. Stay for an extra few minutes until we finish praying. Everything that's going on outside of the shul will continue going on. It's not going to stop. Yeah. Yes. Why does he have to leave? Better than God? Like what? Depends. If it's a life risk, it's a different story. But if he has to go, I don't know, buy milk from the store, then he could do it. If he can't do it any other time. So for example, if let's say he has a 9.30 appointment to go see a doctor, and he usually goes praise at uh, 8 o'clock, and the prayer lasts from 8 to 9. Then, uh, then he needs to leave early. Then the easy solution is that he should go to an earlier prayer. He should go to an earlier prayer. He should go to the nets. Uh, if, let's say, for example, there is no earlier prayer. Let's say he already goes to nets. He already goes to the prayer at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he has to, some, he has to be at a flight. He has to be at a flight. Uh, and he uh, risks missing the flight if he delays things. There's certain exceptions to the case, but he has to understand that if he is the one that's completing the minyan, he's a very serious problem. It's better that he doesn't even come. Better that he just goes straight to the airport, prays by himself over there at the same time. What if he isn't Even if he's part of 50 people, even if he doesn't complete the minyan, to just leave a prayer in the middle for absolutely no reason is a problem. It's a very, very serious problem. If you're leaving it for a reason, if it's obviously Hashem knows what's in your heart. If you're leaving it because you have a life-threatening dis- you know, situation or you have a major issue that can't be solved in any other way, then obviously that's one thing. But if it can be solved but you're just lazy or nonchalant about it, you just don't care, it's a different problem. Again, if you have your Shemaim, Hashem will make sure that you don't have these types of issues. 
No, 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 no. Obviously, in Shmonaisa, you can't stop regardless. It doesn't matter what, what's happening. Unless it's a 100% life risk, you can't stop uh, Shmonaisa. I'm talking about if, let's say, for example, somebody is a, uh, is, um, needs to finish prayer faster, so he's not going to finish the rest of prayer after Shmonaisa with, with everyone else, and he leaves before them. It's not ideal. It's not ideal to leave before everybody else. It's ideal to leave at the same time as everybody else. But the key part of prayer that you should know is this, when you pray with a minyan, because many times the minyan has its own minagim, its own customs, its own ways. And if you're new to the community or you're just new to the synagogue or the, uh, the, that, that particular uh, location, you may not be up to date. They may read faster, excuse me, faster than you, slower than you, and so on. So um, the most important part is for you to start Shema Yisrael and Amidah at the same time as them. That's the most important part. So, for example, if let's say in Shachrit, they start in Baruch Shamal, or they start at Hodu, they start at Hodu. Most synagogues today don't start at the beginning of Shachrit. They start somewhere in the middle. They start usually at Hodu. Uh, so they start there, and you came late. You came late. You were late to the synagogue for whatever reason. You came late. Now, your option is to go and start at Hodu or where they are. Now, if they're still relatively in the beginning, then you start with Hodu and you catch up to them. Read a little faster, catch up to them if you can. Or you just start wherever they are and complete the rest of what you missed later on. But if they're right next to Shema Yisrael, you have to start with Shema Yisrael with them. Skip everything else, start with Shema Yisrael. Why? Because the most important part is for you to do Shema Yisrael at the same time as the Minyan. So again, if the issue is because there is a real serious issue, you have a flight to catch, you have a doctor's appointment that can't be changed at any other time, then obviously there's, that's, a, that's an issue that uh, uh, is uh, taken into account. But if it's just because you don't care, or because you want to go to a theme park, and your friends are leaving at 9 o'clock, so that means you're going to miss prayer, then obviously that's a problem. You understand? So it's just treating the Bet Knesset like it's a Bet Knesset. Anything else? Yeah. Hundred percent kavanah, not hundred percent righteous. Hundred percent righteous doesn't exist. Yes, they're gonna check you. They're gonna check you. They're gonna check. You. Absolutely, yes. The the, the bedin shalmala will definitely decipher who is the one that's praying in shemaim more carefully when you're praying by yourself than when you're praying with a minyan. But it doesn't say anywhere that you have to be hundred percent righteous to pray by yourself, and that's the only way that they accept your prayer because then nobody would ever pray by themselves because. Even the most righteous don't consider themselves more, you know, righteous. You understand? Even Yaakov Avinu didn't say I'm Yaakov Avinu. You understand? So it would be a moot point. So now, what happens? So now we know there's a punishment. Somebody that uh, doesn't wait, we know there's a punishment. But the Gemara says, listen, Hashem loves you so much that He tries to give you a free ride in any opportunity that He has. He tries to give you a free reward. In any opportunity he has, you have to wash your face or wash your hands when you wake up regardless. 
Nobody just wakes up the way they are and just goes about their day. Usually you want to wash your face, unless you're one of these garbage pail kids that just goes to sleep and wakes up the same way. Usually you want to wash your face, maybe you want to brush your teeth, be a normal human being. Hashem says, if you do a bracha when you're washing your hands, I'll give you a, pl- uh, I'll give you a, a uh, I'll give you that as, I'll count that as a mitzvah. I'll give you an actual reward for it. You have to wash your hands anyway. But if you just do it with Hashem in mind and say this bracha, I'll give you a reward for it. Okay. You have to go to the bathroom regardless. Every human being has to relieve themselves. Even Paro, who lied to all this entire nation for years, says that I don't go to the bathroom. That's what he said. He doesn't go to the bathroom because he wanted to pretend like he's God. Even he had to go to the bathroom. When did he go? He made an hour during the day, early in the morning, I think it was 4 o'clock in the morning, or around like early, early hours, where no one was allowed to leave their houses. Why? Because that would be the time that he would go to the Nile River and relieve himself. So when Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, go meet Paro in the river, why did he go in the river? At the same time he's going to the bathroom. Go there when he's going to the bathroom, to show him, hey, we know you're a liar. We know you go to the bathroom. We know you go to the bathroom, you liar. You're not God, you're not nothing. You're barely human. So everybody has to go to the bathroom. Hashem says, listen, you're going to go to the bathroom? If, either way you have to go to the bathroom. Either way you have to relieve yourself. But if after you finish, you say, Hashem, thank you for making my body work. Thank you for making all the holes where they're supposed to be all the closings, where they're supposed to be, and so on and so forth, the blessing of Asher Yatzar. You say that, now you go into the bathroom, became a mitzvah. Before, it was something you have to do regardless. Now it's a mitzvah. You get an endless reward for it. Eat. Everybody has to eat. Everybody has to drink, regardless. Even before this lecture, you guys were eating. After this lecture, you're going to eat regardless, right? You're not going to start eating just only because of this lecture. You're going to eat regardless. Okay. Hashem. Hashem says, listen, you have an opportunity. You're going to eat anyway. But if you say, thank you, Hashem, before you eat. Thank you for giving me this apple. Thank you for giving me this bread. Thank you for giving me this water. In a few words, for something that you're supposed to do regardless as to survive... Now it turns to a mitzvah. The equivalent of you bringing a korban. And if you say thank you again, after you finish, it's even bigger. You have to do it anyway. Just to show that you're a grateful person to the person that you go to in the store, they give you a sandwich, what do you say? Thank you. So if you're saying thank you to the person that made the sandwich... Why aren't you going to say thank you to the one who created everything? She just made the sandwich. You said thank you. So what about him, the one that made her and the sandwich? Say thank you also. You have to do it anyway. He said, if you say thank you, it's the biggest mitzvah in all of Judaism. Biggest prayer in all of Judaism. Saying thank you after you finish eating. So Hashem looks to give you a present, an endless present for any opportunity that he has. He says, 
if you leave my bet knesset in the middle of a shiur, in the middle of a tefillah, no good. But if you stay, Gemara says, if he did wait for him, if the one out of the two, the guy that left, if instead of leaving, he just waited for him. He finished the prayer, but he waited for him. Rabbi Yosei, the son of Rabbi Hanina, says, he merits the following blessings. Says you the, the blessing that he gets because you listen to my commandments, as it says in the uh, in the Torah. Your peace would flow like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea, and your children will be as abundant as the sand, and your offspring will be endless. For what? For just staying at the minyan. You stayed. You didn't leave early. You stayed for the entire Alenu Shabach. You stayed for the entire prayer, the whole 15 minutes. The whole hour out of the 24 hours Hashem gifted you today, you stayed an hour in the Beit Knesset. Big deal. He says just for that, just for staying until the end of the prayer, what do you get? You get three major blessings. He said you're going to have peace. Your peace is going to be like a river, meaning you're going to have comfortable life. Peace is going to come smoothly to you. You're not going to have to fight for it like Am Yisrael has to fight every single day against the Palestinians, against the all the Avdavud uh, Azarah, all of the people that are trying to destroy the Torah, all the people that are trying to destroy everything. No, you, Stephen Minyan, peaceful life. That's one. Two, your righteousness will be like waves of the sea. What does it mean your righteousness will be waves of the sea? Sometimes the wave looks small, sometimes the waves look big. Says your righteousness in Shamayim, your prayer is going to be considered like big waves. It's bigger than it really is. It's really a small wave, but it's going to look big. And not last but not least, your children will be as abundant as sand. You want to have children? That's where the Baha'is, people that have problem with with kids, they can't bring kids to the world. You know how much money they want to spend? You know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars people are willing to give just to have one kid? And then you have couples that say, you know what? We're not ready to have a kid yet. We want to have fun. We want to go to Cancun next year and I want to wear my bikini and show the world what my husband sees in a closed room. Show my underwear. This is the logic. No, no, I don't want to have kids. Or they say, no, listen, we don't have a lot of money. We're only going to have two kids and a dog. We don't have a lot of money. What they don't realize is that all of the bracha of Parnassah comes with each kid. It can be written for you in Shamaim as it's written in Gemara, Rosh Hashanah, and Beitzah. It's written in Shamaim. Sonny, going to be a millionaire. Multi-millionaire. But it's not going to come right now. When is it going to come? After the second kid. But Sonny is like, ah, you know, I only want to have one kid. I want to have one kid. One kid's already a big headache. I just want to have one kid. It's too much for me. I see this guy has two kids. He's driving me crazy. I'm going to have one kid. One kid's good. Can't afford the second kid. Yeah, but in Shemaim they wrote you. The second kid comes with a million bucks. 
So what are you going to go to Shemayim and complain to Hashem? You didn't give me money. That's why I didn't have a second kid. He goes, no, I gave you the money. The check was already written. It went into the bank. Just didn't have the password. He goes, what password? The second kid. You understand? So Hashem is trying to give you everything that you want and even things that are greater than what you want if you only listen to Him. If you only listen to Him. In the Gemara, Megillah. Megillah, I think, 25. No, not 25. 28. 28a, there's a Mishnah. It talks about different rules of what you're supposed to do, what you can and can't do in synagogues. It says the following. Regarding synagogues, one may not conduct themselves with levity in them, one may not eat in them, one may not drink in them, nor can he adorn himself in them, nor can one stroll around in them. I'll explain all this in a second. Nor can he enter them in the summer in order to escape from the heat or in a rainy winter season to escape from the rain. And he can't deliver a private eulogy in them, but he can read from Scripture in them, learn Mishnah in them, meaning have a shield to eye in them, and give a public eulogy. So this Mishnah and this Gemara is giving you different rules of what you're allowed and not allowed to do in the Bet Knesset, in the mini Bet HaMikdash. So first and foremost, the Gemara is very, very harsh. In regards to treating the Gemara, treating the Bet Knesset like it's a Bet Cafe, like it's a coffee shop. It says, don't treat it with levity. What's levity? We really mean treating it like it's like, do whatever you want. Hey, what's up, Amos? Hey, Sonny, what's going on? Hey, what's up, guys? You're pounding everybody, you're hugging them. No, my friends, not the place. I came to pray. It's the house of God. It's not your house. It's not your house. All these people that sit there in the Bet Knesset, sometimes you have communities, they have these Bet Knesset, and the same five or six old people are in the Bet Knesset the whole day. The whole day in the Bet Knesset are reading newspaper. If they're reading Sifre Torah, Gemara, Mishnah, Tosfot, I don't know, something in Torah, Shrechem Vashrechem Kechem. But what are they reading? Newspaper. Newspaper inside the Bet Knesset. All day. Newspaper, coffee. Newspaper, coffee. Go somewhere else. It's not a coffee shop. It's a mini Bet HaMikdash. It's a Sefer Torah. If, if you actually saw Hashem, you still read the newspaper? Now, the fact that you can't see him, does it mean he's not there? Like we were talking about before the Shur. If there was a ghost in the back of the room, don't worry, there's no ghost, guys. If there was a ghost in the back of the room, but no one saw it except me, I had the school to see the ghost. Does that mean that there's no ghost? Because you can't see it? There's no ghost, guys. There's no ghost. Stop looking behind. There's no ghost. Don't worry. I'm giving you a hypothetical example here. Should have picked a different example. The fact that you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Same thing here. Now, Avdi from Hashem. 
The fact that you can't see him in the Beit Knesset doesn't mean he's not there. So what are you reading a newspaper in the Beit Knesset? Repeat that again. Let's say you go to shul, right? Yeah. And you don't do nothing. You don't open up a book. You just sit there, just wonder what's in your mind. You do your mitzvah just for being inside a shul. I never heard that, but if you could provide some type of uh, source for that, that's very interesting because it'd be too to lie. You can't just sit there and do nothing. It's against the entire Mishnah we learned last week. You could hear it from whoever you want. It's not written in the Torah. Like, uh, people say a lot of things. What's written is something different most of the time. To say you could just sit there and do nothing inside of a, a four walls, that being a mitzvah, I don't know why. I, Baruch Hashem, I learned 630 mitzvot. It's not one of them. So maybe uh, 614. So he says you can't feel at home in a, in a, in a shul. You can't feel at home. In a synagogue, don't joke around. Don't make jokes. Don't. This is not a place for joking. This is a place for praying. It's a place for studying. It's a place to connect to Hashem Barach. Want to talk to your friends? Go outside. Go outside. Nobody's telling you not to talk. Talk to your friends. Hang out with them. Hug them. Kiss them. Whatever you want. Outside. Go outside. You want to read newspaper? Go. You want to waste your life reading newspaper like it's going to change the world that you read the headlines? You read the headlines, everything's going to change now. You disagree with Trump? Everything's going to change now. You agree with Trump? He did it because of you. Whatever, you think that you reading the news is changing the world. Asheikha, you think you're that powerful? Fine, outside. Go outside. Not in here, it's a big Knesset. Hashem is here. King of Kings is here. You're reading the newspaper in front of him? How? If you ever went, or ever worked, one of these companies where um, it's not your business, you're a boss. And you notice, a boss comes, all of a sudden everybody gets busy. So when I was a kid, from the age of 10 to 17, I had many jobs. I had two newspaper routes, I worked in a shoe store, a clothing store, and a flea market. I think it was a... Um, I sold computers, all types of electronics. Both of them had many, many different jobs. It's very interesting to me because, you know, most of these jobs, you got, you're a salesperson, you got to do something. But you're not, I'm not the owner, I'm just an employee. But I would see there's other employees, and every time the boss would come, all of a sudden, the whole day they were sitting like it was uh, they were getting a tent. Everybody's sitting there getting a tent from the, from the bulb. They're getting a 10, they're relaxed, the customer comes, they don't want to get up, oh, another customer. But as soon as the boss comes, he's cleaning, he's cleaning, he starts cleaning the mirror, he starts cleaning things that don't even exist. All of a sudden, he gets busy. Why are you so busy? Why weren't you like that the whole week? Oh, if you clean like that the whole week, the place would be a diamond. Why don't you clean like that the whole week? Why don't you sell like that the whole week? Oh, now you sell like that because the boss is here. The boss is here. You got scared. He just wants, doesn't want to get fired. I remember every time in my company, I had cameras. So I'd see from my house what's really going on in the office. And you see the guys joking around, laughing, this, that. But as soon as I walk into the office... 
Everybody's like on the phone all of a sudden. Everybody's on the phone. Everybody's talking to somebody all of a sudden. You've got somebody on the phone right now? Already somebody picked up the phone. They're making up conversations. Oh, yeah, Mr. Jones. Yeah, how are you? What's going on? Everybody's on the phone. Wow. Amazing. Everybody's busy. Why weren't you busy two seconds ago when I was looking at you in the camera? I was looking for my house. Why? The boss came. The boss came. So now, this is to teach us some Musab. What's the Musab? We're scared of human beings. So they don't fire us. So how come we're not scared of God? We show up to his house. The Knesset. And we still act like he's not there. Okay, outside, he's there also, by the way. He's everywhere. But outside, you have an excuse. What's your excuse inside? At least when you're inside the shul, stop talking. Pray. Yes, then. So, first thing this Mishnah is telling you here, don't feel at home, don't joke around the shul. Second, if you're one of these people that likes to drink your coffee in shul, now, if it's really early in the morning and it's going to help you because it's really early and it's going to help you pray, you're going to take a sip during the Pesukid de Zimra, during the parts where they're saying Teilim, you take a sip, one or two sips here and there, during that section of prayer to wake yourself up, fine. But if it's Shema Yisrael, if it's Amida, absolutely not, not allowed. But even more so, He's not mentioning this in this Gemara. What he's taking, what he's talking about is not that. I just mentioned that. Here they're referring to if you're drinking and the shul is not allowed, meaning drinking alcohol. And unfortunately, many people have turned synagogues into bars. They have this minag in America, apparently. And it's, uh, I think you guys think somebody told me about this last week. It's called something, Zikri, Zifri's, whatever it's called. I don't know, some, some name that they have. Sounds like a uh, Swedish name of some kind. For bringing, for bringing, for bringing. Yeah, that would mean Ag. They bring a bunch of alcohol to the, uh, to the shul. Everybody drinks, and they say that they learn Torah at the same time. You're not allowed to drink and learn Torah at the same time, by the way. When I have a sip, fine. Enjoy. But to get drunk, learn Torah, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to be in front of Hashem drunk. You're not to pray when you're drunk. So this minag, I know they mean well. They want to bring people in, and they want to uh, encourage people to come. Look, we're fun. You can even have a drink. But the problem is that people take things too far, and they just use this as, as an excuse to be alcoholics in the name of Torah. So they come to the shul, instead of having one drink to get a buzz and listen to the Torah, where they drink the whole bottle, they leave you a cup. And they don't listen to Torah anyway. So, he's specifically saying in this Gemara, you're not allowed to drink in the shul. If it's a sip, if it's part of a meal, you're having kiddush in the shul, or something like that, a certain part of the shul, not next to the Sefer Torah, there's something to say about it. But if you're just, if you're turning the shul into a... Uh, Alcohol, uh, you know, tasting uh, session. It's not allowed. Yeah. Not allowed to sleep in shul. Not allowed to sleep in shul. 
Again, different parts. You go into the back, allowed. In front of the Sefer Torah, not allowed. Um, so now, next thing he says, you're not allowed to just stroll around, do nothing. So that entire thing you just said, goes against this Gemara. can't just walk around the shul, do nothing. Either pray, learn, or leave. It's not a hangout. It's not a hangout. Shul's not a hangout. It's a mini beta mikdash. You understand the concept here? If the beta mikdash was still here, this would be it. Hashem would be here all the time. And he's walking around. Whoa, wow. Look at that. Wow. They should clean that. Oh, they should do this. You're just looking at the books. Take the book. Read it. Stop looking at the book. Take the book. Open it. Read. A. B, B, C, C. Oh, that's just the uh, preface. Okay, fine. Let me open it. Rashi said, next thing he says, you can't use the shul as an escape from the heat just because the shul is able to afford air conditioner and you can't. You can't go to the shul just to go sit there because it's cooler. It's not a place for that. Also, if it rains outside, can't go inside the shul just because it's raining outside. Come here for what? One. Learn. Two. Pray. If it rains. Come. Learn. Leave. Come, learn, leave. Pray Tilim is either going to you're learning the Tilim or you're praying the Tilim. But do something. So that's that's in essence summarizes the different things about Bet Knesset. Um, oh, this is an interesting one. Now, there are many people that are robots that keep Shabbat. That they keep Shabbat. Somebody influenced them to keep Shabbat, or they were born from, and they keep Shabbat. But in reality, the Mechale Shabbat. In reality, they don't really keep Shabbat. They think they keep Shabbat, but they don't keep Shabbat. Why? Because what do they do on Shabbat? They eat. Everybody eats. They pray. They pray. But in between the prayers, what do they do? They talk business. They talk business. Yeah. You hear about that building I just bought? Or you hear about that building I want to buy? Oh, the house? Yeah, I just flipped it. Oh, yeah, I just sold it. No, I just painted it. No, no, I'll paint it for you next week. Oh, what about the stone? Did you like it? Did you not like it? They talk business. My friend, it's a problem. Not allowed to work on Shabbat. Never says, no, no, but I'm not building anything. Yeah, but during the week, you're not building anything either. What do you do for a living? You talk. Most people don't do anything. Most people talk for a living, like me. That's the reality. Most people don't do anything. They just talk. You're a salesman, you talk. You sell diamonds, you sell houses, you sell stocks, you sell bonds, you sell insurance. You sell, even if you're a doctor, for the most part, the real doctor is really doing the job. You are just telling the patient, no, you're going to be okay. Let me see your tongue. I'll get the tongue. Let me see your ear. Okay, okay, I'll give you my partner over here. He's going to take care of you. Or you're the guy that looks at the x-rays. You're not making anything. For the most part, you just talk for a living. So that means that the same talking that makes you a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year, you're doing the same thing in a bekeset. You're working on Shabbat. 
Just don't act surprised when they, you come to Shabbat and tell you, oh, you're the Mechalet Shabbat that worked every Shabbat his whole life. No, what are you talking about? I, I went to Beknesset, I went to this, I went to that. I didn't even drive to Shul. Yeah, you didn't drive to Shul. And yet you prayed. And yet you ate. And yet you even learned some, you know, Torah at some point during the day. But the whole time, in between all those things, you were talking business. You are working on Shabbat. But the Gemara says something else, above and beyond this. It says there's even an additional meaning to acting with levity. Kalut Rosh, it's called in Hebrew. In shul. It's not just treating the shul like it's just a joking place. Chazal is telling us here, Rabbi Ravasi is telling us it's also referring to people that talk business in shul. And he says there's a different cheshbonot. What do these people do? They do cheshbonot. What is cheshbonot? It's business. And just like they do cheshbonot in the Bet Knesset, there's cheshbonot that they do on them, there's calculations they do on them in Shemaim that lead to, Rav Asi said, Bet Knesset shemechashvin bo cheshbonot, melinim bo etamet, a synagogue in which they do calculations, meaning they do business in the synagogue, will eventually house corpses overnight. Meaning it will be a house full of dead people. Corpses, dead bodies. So if you ever notice, sometimes you have shuls, every other day, Hashem Menachem, somebody dies. Somebody's friend, somebody's brother, somebody's sister, somebody's mother, somebody's this. Everybody has, sometimes they make public announcements, Hashem Yerachem, somebody's family member, friend, or this. I have this I'm on some list. Every other day, every week, not a week passes by where at least two, three people don't die. It's a big keilah, but at least two, three people die every week. It's unbelievable. We learn this, people are going to call me kitsoni, crazy, if I didn't give you a source... It's a great, even if I give you a source, they're going to call me crazy. But it says in the Gemara, I didn't write it. Almost 2,000 years ago they wrote it. I wasn't alive. So you can't even blame me for it. It's what it says. It says, you talk business in, in Berkneset, it's going to be a house full of dead people. What do you want to tell you? It's my fault. I just read it to you. I'm just a parrot. Am Israel, Arabim Zelazeh. We are all responsible for each other. When you learn Torah right now, Baruch Hashem, we have Baruch Hashem many people today, someone in the middle of the world could potentially get his blessing, could potentially get his salvation, because you are sitting here. You are sitting there. All of you are sitting here. Somebody in the world can get his cure from heaven because you're sitting here learning Torah. The power of Torah that you're learning, especially since there's more than 10 people, is helping somebody somewhere, aside from helping your own neshamot. It's helping somebody somewhere else. It's giving Hashem a purpose to continue His creation. But the same token as someone as a Mechalel Shabbat, somewhere else is affecting us here. Not the whole kila, not everyone's going to die per se, but meaning that it's going to be a house of corpses, meaning there's going to be a lot of death connected to the kila. It doesn't necessarily mean that the kila is all going to die. It could be people that are connected to them, 
or in one way or another. Meaning the whole Keila is responsible for allowing this to happen. Everyone is responsible for it. You hear things. It's nevuot. It's like prophecies. Okay, no? I listen, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Who said you can eat in the Bet Midrash? I'm not saying you're not allowed to have a Kiddush inside a shul. There's an area for it. If it's right next to the Sefer Torah, if it's in the middle of prayer, if it's an inappropriate time or place. Again, when you treat a Bet Knesset like it's a Bet Knesset, you're going to find a time and a place to do everything. But you treat a Bet like it's your house, you have a serious problem. So it's not saying that you're, uh, you have to you know, feel like you're in a um, uh, punishment when you go to the Knesset. It's a house of, uh, house of God. You have to treat it with respect. You have to treat it with respect. That's it. What else? Okay. All right. So... Okay, so now we continue with the Mishnah. So now we know the significance of ten. But now the Mishnah continues and it says, how do we know that this Shekhinah, the divine presence of Hashem Itbarach, is still there, even if there's only five people? And he uses a source in the uh, Prophet Amos, chapter 9, verse 6. Very interesting. It says the following. It says he establishes his bundle upon earth. Um, so a bundle, Chazal is explaining, is something that you can grasp with five fingers. So in essence, a bundle is signifying the number five. Okay. Further, it says, but what about three? Even if there's three people. Even if there's three people, the Shekhinah is still there. Sources, Psalm 82.1, it says, in the midst of judges, he shall judge. And Chazal is telling us that how do we know that uh, this particular verse is talking about three? Is because the minimum number of judges in any Bedin is three. Anytime, for example, somebody wants to convert or somebody wants to go in front of a judicial court, it has to be a minimum of three dayanim. There's certain dayanim, there's certain laws, we have to have more than three. But uh, for, for example, for conversion, it's three judges, at least three judges. Now, if one of the dayanim is not considered agun, he's a homosexual, he's a kofel, he's a mean, is something like that, you no longer have three dayanim. You have two dayanim and a kofel. You can't finish your conversion. You can't use him as a judge. He's not considered agun. So even if you have two that are and one is a rasha, can't use him. It has to be three agunim. 
Uh, same thing also goes with in regards to having witnesses. If someone is going to get married, it's very, very important that the witnesses that sign the ketubah, you know, everybody has a ketubah and you have to sign it. The witnesses have to be considered agunim. They have to be considered righteous people that are keeping mitzvot because if the people that signed your ketubah and you got married on the chupan kiddushin, they were mechalei shabbat, you're not considered married. Like I know a lot of people like to give the kavod of signing the ketubah to friends and family and so on, and sometimes our friends and family are not exactly tzaddikim. So they wanted the, I don't know, their father or their, ma- or their brother or their cousin to sign their ketubah when they got married. And that brother or cousin, whoever it was, is a mechalel shabbat or is a gambler on a regular basis. They're not allowed to be considered witnesses. They're not allowed to be considered witnesses. Now the rabbi overseeing the chupan kiddushin didn't know that this person is a mechalel shabbat, didn't know this person is a gambler, shaykhah. Didn't know that this person is not allowed to be a witness. And he allowed him to sign a ketubah. But unfortunately, that mistake is falling on you. Because now, you have yourself a problem. You are no longer considered married. You have to do the procedure all over again. Even if you're married for 20 years. No, you're not allowed, you don't get karet for being with your wife. She's not a uh, eshet ish. But uh, you have to get remarried. You have to get a new, a, uh, you have to get a new ketubah. And you have to get two people that are valid witnesses. So, your children are your children. They're not, they're not considered, if you're asking if they consider mamzerim, they're not considered mamzerim. It's not an eshet ish issue. It's just that you're not uh, legally married like you're supposed to. It's a problem. It's definitely a problem. But it's not issue of mamzerut or anything like that. You def- but you definitely need to get a new ketubah. Why is it a base of three? That's uh, that's the uh, Torah. So there's no uh, if there's only one, you're putting too much power in one person's hands, and only a king is allowed to have such power to override a bedin. Uh, if you're putting it two, then you could have a tekel. You could have a even issue in every issue. One guy says no, the other guy says yes. We're never going to get to any decisions. So three is the first number that's odd, where it can never be. A uh, tekel. It can never be even. It's either yes or it's either no. They can actually get to, ju- to judgment. And a bed that can't get to judgment is not really a bed So we have to get to some type of judgment. Next. Yes. Yes, but you're talking about bedin of business. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you have three gemarot. You have three masechtot uh, in the gemara, uh, Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, and Baba Vatra. All three of them talk about different laws of business. And um, if somebody steals, if somebody overcharges, if somebody finds something, and so on and so forth. Many, many different laws. They're the biggest tractates of gemara. It was really supposed to be one tractate, but it was too big. So they broke it up into three. And uh, long story short is that the, these three gemarot talk about different laws of business. Now, this is the laws for everyone. But you'll see that sometimes tzaddikim that have um, problems with business, there's a difference of opinion, a different issue, something happens, 
something happens uh, between uh, two people, and they, instead of using the Torah as a guide to exercise the law, meaning somebody uh, did something not wrong and somebody did something right. So instead of suing him and taking him to the Bedin, which is actually a mitzvah, they take somebody to the Bedin, they don't fulfill that mitzvah, they just let Hashem decide. So this is not a sin. This is a uh, showing that they have a high level of emunah. So the rabbis say, and actually I heard this, Rabbi Zrachi also mentioned this in one of the shiurim, is that uh, he went to a um, rabbi he told him uh, about this case that he had. He was going to sue someone. He says, listen, if you have a munah, you wouldn't go to a bedin. He's like, why? But we have a whole gemara about going to a bedin. He goes, yeah, that's for everyone. But if you have a munah, you don't need to go to a bedin. Because you know that Hashem will give you exactly what's yours with or without the bedin. With or without. You're never going to lose a penny unless Hashem signed off on it. You're never going to make a penny Unless Hashem signed off on it. So if you have full emunah that Hashem is signing off and doing everything, there's no need for you to go to Betin. Unless you're forced to go to Betin because someone's suing you. But as far as you suing somebody else, it also depends on your emunah. So now, in regards to the uh, three here, it says that if three people are studying, it's... Not only very good, but what they're uh, doing is written in the Book of Memories of Hashem Barach. So now, it's a very interesting remez, a very interesting hint between the last two things. In the first one, where it says, the Shekhinah still stays when there's ten, we know because ten is complete. Second one says, if there was five, Hashem is still there. And then it says, if there's three, Hashem is still there. And they both actually use the same source. Same source. So now, the source in Amos is chapter 9, verse 6. In chapter 9, verse 6, it says that if someone is a... Um, Someone that establishes his bundle upon earth. So if someone, in essence, does good things here, he gets benefit up there. Great. But now, what's 3 plus 5? 8. Okay, so instead of going to Amos chapter 9, verse 6, let's go to Amos chapter 9, verse 8. Right? 3 plus 5 equals 8. So if we go to chapter 9, verse 8, it says something different. Behold, the eyes of the Lord Hashem Elohim are upon the sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from upon the face of the earth, but I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, the word of Hashem. Here Chazal is telling us this is prophecy for the end of times. For behold, I decree that I will shake out the house of Israel among all the nations, as grain is shaken in the sieve, and not a pebble falls to the ground. They will perish by the sword, all the sinners of my people. Those who say, not because of us will the evil approach any sooner. And on that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David, it's referring to Mashiach, and I'll explain all this in a second. 
I will repair their breaches and raise up its ruins, and I will build it up as in the days of old, so that they upon whom my name is called may inherit the remnant of Edom and all the nations. Tehi Chazal is telling us, first in verse 6, he says, if you do good, you have nothing to worry about. You prepare your bundles here. Grab your mitzvot with two full hands. You get there, you have ganeden. If you don't, if you don't, you just go to verse 8. Verse 8, Hashem is telling us, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to pay the bill. Either it's going to be your own individual collection day, judgment day, when you go up to Shamaim after 120, or it's going to be when I end the world. When Hashem is ending the world, Mashiach comes. So there's going to come a day where Hashem is going to come and take care and destroy the sinful people. He's not talking about just the sinful people of the Goim that hate Israel, all the uh, people that are uh, idol worshippers. He's not just talking about them. He is specifically saying he's going to destroy the people that are sinners within his nation. All the Mechalei Shabbat, all the people that steal, all the people that are doing things against the Torah, but that are Jews. So there's going to come a time where I'm going to have to deal with all of them. And they will perish by the sword. Meaning if they don't do tshuva, after going through the shakeout that he's doing, which he mentioned in verse 9, they don't do tshuva, then I'm going to force them. Why? By killing them, taking them, taking, killing them with the sword. And who are these specific people? Those who say, not because of us will evil approach any sooner. The very same people that were very easygoing in the shul, thinking it's a bit cafe. The very same people we just talked about in the synagogue that were just like, relax, don't worry about it. Why are you being so harsh? Why are you talking about Shabbat so harsh? Listen, it's okay. He comes to shul, even if he drives on Shabbat. Just let him come. Don't worry about it. Instead of staying home doing nothing or going to the cafe, let them come to the shul at least with the car. All the people that all lax and days ago say, no, he does, it's okay, he doesn't know. Miskin. Oh, very easygoing. They think they're going to figure it out. They go up to Shemaim, they're going to figure it out. They're going to negotiate with Hashem. Say, no, it's not because of us. There's other sinners Hashem has to deal with. There's terrorists, there's murderers. There's this, not because of us, as it says in the verse, not because of us. No, 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 my friend. You're the Mechal Shabbat, it's because of you. You're the one that's a Chilul Hashem, it's because of you. You're the one that's desecrated the Torah, it's because of you. You're the one that's reformed conservative or anything else that's against the Torah, it's because of you. Hashem says, I'm going to come and deal with you personally. And what about the few, the righteous... The ones that are actually going to end up withstanding the test, keeping the mitzvot, doing tshuva. The goel, the Mashiach, is coming for what? To save the ones who already did tshuva from their pesha, from their crimes. The goel is coming to not to help the people that just look religious. The people that actually already did tshuva. And what do they get these people if they actually did serious tshuva? Last verse says it. 
they will inherit the remnant of Edom. All the wicked idol worshippers, the ones that we talked about in the prophecy of Yaakov Avinu, the ones that pretend to be our brother but they really are our enemy, Hashem is going to wipe them out of this world, but there's still going to be all this wealth and stuff that they have. Says, yeah, yeah, all that, all that's yours. Yeah, but there's only a few of us. There was seven and a half billion of them. It's all yours. Billionaires is going to be your employees. So now, that's the connection between three and five. And to finish it up, we have two and one left. Two and one left. So it says, how do we know that the Shekhinah is still present even if there's two? How do we know there's so much power in the Chavruta? So, there's a few things that people need to understand in regards to learning Torah. When you learn Torah, it's very, very important to have a Chavruta. Very important to have a Chavruta. There's a couple of reasons for it. The first thing that a Chavruta is a sign of is they have Yerat Shamayim. If you have a Chavruta, you're learning with somebody, already shows you have Yerat Shamayim. And the reason why is because you already know that by yourself you're more likely to make a mistake. If you learn by yourself, you're going to eventually come to certain conclusions. Now, if you have nothing to bounce anything off of, there's going to be times that you're wrong, but you're not going to know you're wrong. And you can become a walking Chilul Hashem as a result of that. This happens a lot today. Unfortunately, when people decide just because they finished a few tractates, a few the pig marah, they feel like they can become Rashi. They feel like they can start uh, criticizing Rambam and Tosfot. No, no, I don't understand. I don't think he understood it right. I don't think this. I don't think he start judging the sages. Little do they know that they're not even enough to be a dust under the sages' feet. But they start judging them. This is obviously a clear sign that this person has no Yerat Shamayim whatsoever. So when you learn with a Chavuta, if it's a good Chavuta, it'll be a deeper relationship than any relationship you're going to have. To such an extent that people say it's even deeper than a marriage. So there's a famous story in the Gemara of the Chavuta between Rabban Yochanan and Resh Lakish. I think I told you guys the story a few weeks ago. But one time, there was this huge criminal called Shimon ben Lakish. And uh, he was the big, biggest mobster of his day, and uh, was very, very strong. And one day he wanted to go to the lake, and he goes to the lake and he sees a beautiful woman swimming in the middle of the lake. Something like out of this world. So beautiful that his skin was shining like the sun. So immediately he jumps into the water, starts swimming. And as soon as he gets close to the body, this woman turns around, and it's really a man who's one of the Gdolei Ador named Rabban Yochanan. 
Ah, says, ah, what a disappointment. Not like today. He's like, oh. You know, today, he's like, oh, okay, you know what? Son? Back then, it's Sadiqim. So Rabban Yochanan says, oh, if you think that I'm beautiful, because Rabban Yochanan was one of the uh, beautiful people of Jerusalem. Hashem made a certain group of people within Jerusalem with extra beauty to such an extent that their skin was shining. So one of the examples they give of, of the beauty of Rabban Yochanan is that when he was on his deathbed, he had one of the, uh, the other sages came to visit him. And he was on his deathbed, he was lying down, and it was dark. So when he came to see him, he wanted to see his face. So Rabban Yochanan moved his sleeve from his arm, you know, his sleeve was here. He moved his sleeve a little bit to show his wrist, and light came out and lit the entire room. That's how beautiful he was. We're not talking about beauty of today, somebody that has long hair, or short hair, and uh, six pack. Talk about people that were truly beautiful. So anyway, Rabban um, Yochanan tells him, "Listen, if you think I'm beautiful, my sister is even more beautiful than me, and I'll let you marry her if you do tshuva and you come learn with me chavuta." So now this mobster is so overwhelmed with this beauty, he says yes and he means it. You have a sister, you're going to let me marry that's this beautiful even more than you? I'll do it. I'll leave the crime. I'll leave the mafia. I'll leave everything. I'll learn whatever you want. I'll learn Torah. I'll learn this. Whatever you want. No problem. In a moment of truth, you have to make a decision. Each one of us is going to have this This moment of truth. A moment of truth, he made a decision. And he started learning with Rabban Yochanan such an extent that they really did become Chavuta. And Resh Lakish is mentioned all the way, all over the Gemara. All over the Gemara, meaning he's mentioned by name, which means that he got to such a level he was able to revive the dead. Now when Resh Lakish died, it's a very sad story, when he died, Rabban Yochanan couldn't deal with it. Now he had Tamidish, he had Hundreds and hundreds of students, thousands of students. It was Gdoladol. But his Chavuta died. So he said, okay, let's send them other people. Okay, Resh Lakish was a giant. So send five people. Five people, one. Five should be the same, at least the same, if not better than one. So Rabban Yochanan tells them, okay, so I think this. So all five said, yeah, I think you're right. Of course he's right. He's do do. What he's gonna say? No, wrong. He's okay, but I think this. So, oh yeah, yeah, you're right for that too. He's, Again, I also think this. Oh yeah, you're right about that also. He goes, ah, you guys are a waste. I don't need somebody to come in and tell me when I'm right. Every time I would say something, my chavuta, my real chavuta, Resh Lakish would give me twenty reasons of why I'm wrong, of a different opinion, of how I could possibly be wrong. And we battle and go back and forth to get to the emet, to get to the truth. That's the point of a chavuta, not somebody just yesing you to death. And he lost his mind. He started looking for Resh Lakish in the street. He died already. He went to the street and says, Resh Lakish, where are you? Where are you, Resh Lakish? Where are you? And he started looking for him in the markets. 
Mamash sad story to such an extent that the sages started praying for him to die. So he's suffering too much. He's suffering too much without his chavuta. So when you have a chavuta, Ken, he lost all of his kids. It didn't affect him. Losing his chavuta affected him. Yeah. He died. They, at the time that he died, there was a, a different part of the story that I don't like repeating, just because it's hard to even understand. Uh, they had a disagreement. Resh Lakish and, uh, and uh, Rabban Yochanan had a disagreement uh, between them, and they weren't talking when he died. They weren't talking. The, uh, the disagreement was that uh, Resh Lakish misunderstood Rabban, what Rabban Yochanan was saying. He thought that he was, uh, there was a, some type of deen in regards to uh, theft. And Rabban Yochanan says, yeah, yeah, you would know. You got the right answer. You would know from like your past experience. So Rosh Lakish understood it as if he still thinks of him as a thief. He didn't think about it as a way. He's like, yes, I would know because I used to be a thief. So he took it offensively. And he said to him, what's the point of me doing tshuva and learning all this Torah if you still look at me the same way? Rabban Yochanan took that offensively. Why do you think it offensively? He's like, what do you mean, what's the point? Even if I did think of you as a thief, what difference does it make what I think of you? Look at all the Torah you learned. You're fulfilling the desires of Hashem at Barach. You fui tova, look what Hashem's giving you. You're saying, why'd you learn his Torah? And he got really angry at him. He didn't want to talk to him. So they didn't talk. And Resh Lakish got very sick and died. He couldn't deal not being able to talk to Rabban Yochanan. And he got sick and died. Rabban Yochanan after that couldn't deal with the fact that his chavuta died. Even though he wasn't talking to him, he still loved him, his chavuta. And he eventually died. Can't replace a chavuta. Can't replace a chavuta. It's like, it's like saying, let me replace half my body. Can't. If you have a real chavuta, it's not a... Uh, if you don't know what I'm saying, you don't have a real chavuta. And a chavuta, it's, 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 it's something else. Something else. So, anyway, it's a, uh, we continue. Now, the big thing in having a chavuta is that it shows that you have Yerat Shemaim. As we've learned many, many times, Yirat Shemaim is one of the most important things that you can have in your life and aspire to have. As Shlomo HaMelech says, Rashid Chokhmah Yirat Hashem. The beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. Meaning you can't even think of yourself as smart. You can't even think of yourself as having any wisdom whatsoever until you fear Hashem. And what fear? Fear of punishment. We're not talking about fear of his glory, fear of how amazing he is. No, no, we're talking about outright simple fear. Fear of if I do this, I get punished. Or if I don't do this, I get punished. Simple fear. You don't have that, you're no different than a cow. You're no different than a frog. Because they work off of instinct. If you don't fear Hashem punishing you, 
for anything, for specific things, you might as well be a wall. Because you have nothing in. There's nothing in you. Now, the Rabbi Yisrael Misalant says the following. Just like Shlomo HaMelech said, Reshit Chochma Yirat Hashem, he's teaching us that the only, specifically emphasizing, the only effective weapon in a battle against the Yetzirah is fear of Hashem. Just like an arrow in an archer's quiver. He says the only way you're going to stop yourself from sinning is if you're afraid of punishment. Not if you love Hashem. You love Hashem, it's not going to stop you from, from, uh, from sinning. If you're scared of Hashem, it's going to stop you from sinning. But if you really love Hashem, that means you're also scared of Him. Which means that if you're still sinning, but you say you love Hashem, you don't really love Hashem. You love yourself. You love yourself. You love the idea of Hashem. You love the Hashem that gives you stuff. He says, not having Yirat Shamayim, not having fear of the sin, fear of getting punished. Chazal gives it as a, and saying that you want to have a connection to Hashem, but you don't want to be scared of Him. It's like having the, a room full of the greatest treasures in the world, and you're given access to it, but you don't have the key. The key is Yirat Shemaim. The key is Yirat Shemaim. You cannot get into the tre- You have access to the Torah. You have access to loving Hashem. You have access to the greatest things in the world. But without Yirat Shemaim, Rabbi Yisraeli Salaam says, you don't have the key. You can't connect to it. Everything you have is useless. All these ideas, philosophies, desires, everything else is meaningless without Yirat Shemaim. Now some people, unfortunately today, view Yirat Shamayim as a negative thing. And his Gemara in Maseret Brachot actually helped me get a chidush showing us that Yirat Shamayim, actually having Yirat Shamayim, if somebody attains Yirat Shamayim, they could attain the biggest chesed they could ever imagine from Hashem as a result of Yirat Shamayim. So what is this? Now, as a result of having Yerat Shemaim, as we said, someone is going to get a Chavuta. Why are they going to get a Chavuta? Because they're afraid that if they learn by themselves, only by themselves, then they make a mistake they don't have anybody to double-check with. Now, obviously, most people's learning in general are going to be there by themselves. But a chavuta is someone that you're going to learn with on a regular basis. Not necessarily. It doesn't mean that you only learn with a chavuta. It means you learn with a chavuta at some point. You may learn, let's say, five hours a day, and only a half hour a day is with a chavuta, or an hour a day is with a chavuta. That's fine. There's no problem with it. But as long as you have somebody in your life that you're learning with, so if you have Yirat Shamayim, you're going to get to a point of having a Chavuta. Why? Because you're scared of making a uh, sin. 
Now, as a result of having a chavruta, this Mishnah is saying, if Shnaim, if there's two people learning, the Shekhinah comes down. Right? That's what it says. Now, in the verse that they're using, our source, is in uh, the book of Malachi. It says, Those who fear Hashem spoke to one another, and Hashem listened and heard. So it says, So, the way we know it's two people is because when they spoke to one another, that obviously means two people. But now, the continuation of the verse is as follows. The same verse continues. It says, Those who feared Hashem, spoke to one another, they learned Chavuta, and Hashem listened and heard. So the Shekhinah came down, proving this Mishnah. And it continues, and the book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear Hashem, because they learned as a result of Yerat Shemaim, they were written in a book, book of memories of Hashem. Whatever they learn, Hashem is writing in a book. Not only because they feared Hashem, but also because they were the ones who contemplated His name. So Chazal asks, okay, they say here in Eskmara, okay, we understand what does those who feared Hashem mean. Yirei Hashem, we know that means people who fear Hashem. But what does it mean, Shemo? What does it mean, those who contemplate His name? People that fear Hashem, we understand. But the verse continues that the Shekhinah, came down not because they feared Hashem, but also because they were thinking about Hashem's name. What does it mean to think about Hashem's name? So the Gemara says, Rav Ashi says, those who think of Hashem means that they're contemplating fulfilling His mitzvot. They're planning mitzvot. And it's unavoidable for them to sometimes have issues, that they're not able to fulfill these mitzvot. Somebody wants to do a mitzvah, they want to arrange a shiur. They want to arrange a shiur with 150 people. 50 people only show up. Oh, someone plans to give a shiur. But the people call and say, no, we can't do it tonight. Shiur is canceled. Or someone wants to go learn with a chavuta, but the chavuta can't make it today. Or so on and so forth. Someone wants to sponsor a bunch of CDs, but all of a sudden, he lost his money. You're planning a mitzvah, but something unavoidable happens. And you can't fulfill the mitzvah. Rav Ashi says, this specific verse is telling you, because you did the mitzvah as a result of your Yirat Shemaim, and you thought about Hashem. Hashem is telling you in his verse, just thinking about the mitzvah, you get the reward. Just for, Even if you're not able to achieve the mitzvah, you get the reward. So here we learn an amazing chidush. If someone has yad shamayim, it's going to lead them to have a chavuta because they're scared 
that by studying by themselves, they're going to make a mistake. As a result of having a chavuta, our Mishnah in Avot, 3.7 is telling us as a result of two people learning, the Shekhinah is going to come. The divine presence is going to be there because now you're learning with two people. And the fact that you are now Yirat Shamaim and you have the Shekhinah also means that you guys are naturally going to think about Hashem. You're going to plan Shurim together. You're going to plan to give Shurim, to go to Shurim, to do mitzvot. As a result of this Chavuta, something's going to come out of it. Fruits are going to come out of a tree. You plant the seeds, eventually fruits are going to come out. And as a result of the thoughts that, and the plans that you have, Hashem is given the opportunity to give you what He's wanted to give you the whole time, which is reward, even for stuff that you can't do. So just for having Yilat Shamayim, you're in essence giving Hashem an opportunity to reward you even for stuff that you don't do. You want to make a shiur, but you can't. Nobody knows who you are. Get a reward for doing a shiur. As if you made a shiur, you wanted to make a shiur 500 people, I'm going to give you a reward for giving a shiur 500 people. I want to sponsor as a result of this new chidush, I want to sponsor 50,000 CDs. Okay, but sir, you have 8,012 cents in your bank. Shem says, don't worry, I'm giving you mitzvah like you sponsored 50,000 CDs. You understand? So this is an opportunity for Hashem Barach to reward you. And that's show, that's, that's loving. That's love. When people are telling you, no, no, I love Hashem, I love Hashem, I love Hashem. I'm like, yeah, but what about if Hashem made you sick? Would you still love Him? No, I mean, I, you know, they start stuttering. I love Hashem, I love Hashem. Okay, what about if you lost all the, you know, the millions that you have in the bank right now, you love Hashem so much? What if you took all of it? You still love Him? Made you sick. Made you get divorced. Have problems with the kids. Have a headache that doesn't go away. All types of things. You still love Hashem? Meaning, love doesn't have a price. Here we learn Hashem's love for us. Not because we love Him, just because we fear Him. If you just fear Him, He's already planning to give you a reward for things you can't even do. So imagine how much He would actually pay you if you got to a point of loving Him. And you can't say, I love Hashem and go against Him on a regular basis. You can't wear underwear to, in the middle of the street and say, no, I love Hashem. What do you mean you love Hashem? You're making all of His children sin. You look like a mess. You're desecrating His name. How do you love Hashem? How can you love somebody and you're going against them on a regular basis? You wrote in this Torah specifically, it's not allowed. How can you say He's allowed? How can you say it's, you love Hashem? Well, you love yourself. You don't love Hashem. So, this is a very, very important part to understand. Now, how can we show Hashem that we love Him? And how, at the same time, have an example of what's a way for this, this, you know, Hashem to show us love back. There's a famous story by Rav Toledano and uh, Rav Galinsky. Rav Toledano was one of the G'dol big Mekubal, and uh, Rav Galinsky was one of the giants in the Kiruv movement in the previous generation, just died several years ago. He had a mouth on him. He was able to speak really, really well. And he was also a big Talmud Chacham. Big Talmud Chacham. And many of his books are being translated to English now, so you should get them. Very, very, I mean, it's amazing. 
And if you actually read his bio, it should make you do chura within the first few pages because the amount of suffering Rav Galinsky went through in his life and stayed as religious as you can possibly be and as much love for Hashem as you can possibly have, none of us have an excuse. No suffering that you have is as much as what he went through. It's unbelievable. So anyway, one time the two found out, Rav, Rav Toledano found out that there's a town that doesn't have a mikveh. And the people are ignorant over there. And he said, come on, let's go over there and give them a speech. So Galinsky's like, okay, let's go. They went, and the place was really, really far. Half the day they spent traveling there. Eventually they get to this to the Bet Knesset they have there, to the town. They come to the Bet Knesset at the time they're supposed to come. Nobody there, except the Gabai, who's half asleep. They wait, they wait, they wait, they wait. You see nobody showing up. So they look at each other. Okay, so what do we do? Listen, we're already here. It's two of us. He's here. That means Shechina is here. Hashem Bar is here. Let's give the lecture. We came to give a lecture. We came to tell people about how important a mikveh is. Let's do it. And they start giving divret Torah, going back and forth and starting to give divret Torah as if there's 10,000 people. With the passion and, and just zealousness that like you couldn't imagine. Rav Toledano is saying his things. Rav Galinsky is saying his. Pa, pa, pa. The guy that's the goodbye is like, you know, half asleep. Once in a while he opens his eye. Oh, okay, good, good. You know, he's like half asleep. But they're going back and forth and they're telling, ah, ah, and they're giving a shiur Torah like it's the greatest crowd in history. Eventually they finish. That's it. So as they're packing, a woman comes down from the woman's section. She lived upstairs. She was listening to the whole shiur. She says to the Gabai, who's a husband, you heard Moshe? You heard how important having a mikveh is? Yeah, 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 I heard, I heard. Moshe, let's, let's be real here. We saved some money throughout all of our life. We weren't exactly the biggest tzaddikim in our life. Let's use that money. Let's buy a mikveh. Let's build a mikveh in the community. What, are you crazy? All the money we saved our whole life, how we're going to live? Who knows how long we're going to live? You hear how important Rav Toledano said a mikveh is? You hear Rav Galinsky say how important a mikveh is? And over the next few minutes, she convinced her husband to put their life savings to build a mikveh. So now, they agreed. It's like, okay, what do we do now? It's like, oh, we have to get the uh, mayor... To agree to give us, uh, to build a mikveh. Okay. So Rav Galinsky says, okay, let's go to his house. Like, no, it's 10 o'clock at night. Because tzaddikim have to do the mitzvot in a hurry. You don't wait for the next day. Like Avraham Avinu woke up early in the morning to slaughter his son. Not because he wanted to slaughter his son, but because he wanted to fulfill the will of Hashem. He didn't know that Hashem was going to let it go. He didn't know that it was just a test. But he woke up 4 o'clock in the morning for what? To go fulfill the will of Hashem. Rav Galitsky says, there's a mitzvah opportunity, we're going to go to his house right now and get him to sign off on building the mikveh now. They go to his house, middle of the night, open the door. What? What do you want? They explain to him, we got the money, we had this, we need it. 
mikveh right now. Within that month, they started building a mikveh. He signed off on it that night. Within that month, started building a mikveh. So here from this story, we learn a lot. First and foremost, we learn when you're out there to do mitzvah, it doesn't matter what the world around you looks like. You're still responsible to do the mitzvah. You still, you went to do a mitzvah, do it. You came to give shiul, if there's nobody there, give the shiul. There's one person, give the shiul. Second, this Mishnah came alive. Rav Toledan and Rav Galinsky said, listen, we came here, Mishnah says, if there's two, the Shekhinah is here. Three, definitely the Shekhinah is here, and it's written in the Book of Memories. There's three, he's half asleep, but there's three. They started giving the shiul with passion, like there's 10,000 people. Because they would give it to 10,000 people. And Hashem used the opportunity to reward them by showing them that you never know what tool Hashem is going to use to give you and bring the salvation to you. They thought that only way they're going to get, we would think also, we thought probably, that there's no chance that they're going to get a community to buy a huge mikveh, a huge investment such as a mikveh, when there's only one guy that's half asleep listening to the shiur. Little do we know that the only person that needed to hear the entire lecture is the woman upstairs. The woman upstairs that it eventually ended up convincing her husband to put their life savings and build a mikveh and actually get themselves a real alaba. So Hashem is looking for opportunities to reward you. Just try. Do something. Even thinking, seriously thinking about doing a mitzvah is already an upgrade from the mental numbness that we have on a regular basis. And last but not least, even if there's one Hashem says, I'll be there. Someone learns in the middle of the night by themselves. Someone is learning. I'll be there. Why? I'll be Ischavuta. I'll be Ischavuta. He wants to learn. I'll listen. What, is he got? what do you got to say? You have Chidush? Okay, what do you have? You don't agree? You disagree? Fine. I'll be Ischavuta. Who doesn't want to learn with God? So... Here, Hashem is telling us, you don't have any excuses. You don't have any excuses. No, I didn't have a chavuta, I didn't have this, I didn't have that. Nonsense. It's like the guy that um, um, would tell his Rav, listen, I can't make it to the shiur, I can't make it to the shiur. I was like, oh, why can't you make it to the shiur? Just come, we're going to have it this time. It's now later. Da, da, da. Okay, okay, tomorrow I'm going to come to the shiur. Okay, next day comes. He doesn't come to the shiur. No, why didn't you come? He says, listen, for the hour, I was planning to come to the shiur. No. I was ready to come to the shiur. No. But right before I left, a little bit of sauce from my wife's spaghetti fell on my shirt. No. So, huh, I can't go out outside with a spot on my shirt. So, so, so I have to wash the shirt. He goes, well, you only have one shirt. He goes, I only have one shirt. Okay. So now you're okay with the shirt? Now I'm okay with the shirt. The next day, he doesn't come to the shiur. Ralph comes to him and goes, No, what happened? The shirt's okay. Shirt's okay. No, but the pants. 
the pants right when I was about to leave. It got caught and a little rip on the bottom of the pants. I had to fix the pants. Okay, pants are okay now. Pants are okay. Tomorrow you're going to come. Tomorrow I'm going to come. Next day, it doesn't come. Well, of course then. What happened? Pants are okay. Yes, pants are okay. Shirt's okay. Yes, shirt's okay. So why didn't you come? Because I actually came. I was on the way to the shul. No, what happened? Because I passed by the Rob's house. And I saw that on your porch you had pants and a shirt hanging. So I figured the Rob is definitely not coming without a pants and a shirt. So I went back home. Meaning it didn't matter what you would give this guy. He'd have an excuse. Someone that wants to learn Ritzon Hashem, wants to learn the will of Hashem, is going to find an excuse to do it. Not to not do it. And this is one of the most important things that one can understand. Hashem is telling you, you have endless opportunities to do mitzvot. Endless opportunities to get reward for these mitzvot. Don't waste your life. I'm watching. You give me some questions. Questions, questions. You guys have a lot of questions. Usually after I shut up the camera. Moshe Rabbeinu said it also. Yeah. Okay, so? So it contradicts Sadiq the Allah Mashab and Shabbat. If he's a real Sadiq, it has to be good for him. No, first and foremost, you have to understand that when, when Moshe Rabbeinu asked this of Hashem, why is there such a thing as a righteous person that suffers and a wicked person that um, looks like he's uh, celebrating, looks like he's prospering, uh, Hashem actually, that's when Hashem told him, you can't see my face and live. What does it mean you can't see my face? What does, have? what does one thing have to do with the other? What does one thing have to do with the other that you can't see my face and live and a tzaddik that's good for him? Okay. So let's explain. First and foremost, one needs to understand that unlike the Christians and all the minim, all the people that are bringing all types of idol worship to the world, um... Judaism doesn't believe that God has a body. One of the 13 principles of faith is that Hashem has no image and no likeness of an image. So then the immediate question would be, what does Hashem mean? You can't see my face and live, and even more so, I'll show you my back. So Chazal explains the following. And I originally heard this actually from a Laser Brody in one of his CDs many years ago. It's very, very interesting. Chazal says also in that same commentary on the Sechet Brachot that obviously Hashem has no face and has no back. But what Hashem is telling him is that when Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem, why is there such a thing as a person that's righteous and he suffers? And a person that's wicked and he prospers. Hashem says to him is that this could be multiple situations. On one case, it could be that he's righteous today, but in his previous Gilgul, 
he was wicked. So the punishment that he's getting right now, the suffering that he's getting right now, is for the previous Gilgul, not for this Gilgul. It's righteous now. Previous Gilgul, wicked. That's one option. Second option, Chazal says, is that he's righteous, but his father is is wicked. Meaning that it's a uh, he's not completely righteous, or they give you multiple gemarot about the situation. But the tachlis, the easiest one to understand, is this: Hashem says, "Everything that I do is not for you to understand. I don't owe you an explanation. That's the truth. That's the real truth." is Hashem does not owe you any explanations whatsoever. And it's important for one to know that Hashem is God. We're the servant. So Hashem told Moses, because I'm merciful, I'm going to explain to you. If you see what I'm doing right now, there's no way for you to understand it. Because it's always going to look different than what it's really supposed to. If you see me rewarding a tzaddik, it's going to look like I'm rewarding him for some mitzvah he just made five minutes ago. In reality, I'm rewarding him for 20 years ago. In reality, I'm rewarding him for his previous gigul. In reality, I'm rewarding him for something his father did or his grandfather, or his great-great-grandfather, that I promised him, I'm going to reward your great-grandson with Panasa. It looks like I'm giving him a reward for what he did now, but in reality, it's a promise I made to Avraham Avinu. On the other hand, you're going to see a wicked prosper. It's going to look like I'm not running the world. It's an unjust world. But in reality, I'm punishing him worse than anyone else. And I wrote it in my Torah. I wrote it at the end of Parashat Vayetchanan. In chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Vayadati ki Adonai Elohecha ua Elohim ael ha-neeman shomer ha-brit v'achesed l'oavav u'l-shomre mitzvotav l'elev dor. U'meshalem l'sonav el panav l'avido you must know that, that Hashem, your God, He is the God, the faithful God, who safeguards the covenant and the kindness for those who love Him and for those who observe His commandments for a thousand generations. And He repays His enemies to their face in their lifetime to make them perish. He shall not delay payment for His enemy, in their lifetime, he shall repay him. So here, you learn something critical. First and foremost, you learn who Hashem considers his lovers. He says, I pay my lovers who are the ones that observe my commandments. So anyone that says, I love God in my heart, but I don't keep anything, you're not his lover. Hashem is specifically telling you, you want to love me? Do what I say. If you don't do what I say, you don't love me. And if you do what I say, then not only do I consider you my love, my lover, but I pay you for thousands of generations, meaning beyond this life. This is also one of the proofs of Olam Abba. Because obviously you're, only gonna, you're not going to be alive for thousands of generations. 
but he repays his enemies, which is obviously the opposite of his lovers, in their lifetime to their face. And he won't delay their payment. Meaning, he answers Moshe Rabbeinu, when you see the guy driving on Shabbat, or smoking a cigarette on Shabbat, or going with Eshet Ish, or being a thief, or doing all the things that are against me, or you seeing the Christian pastor riding in his $50 million plane while he leads his poor keilah, these poor people that don't know the truth because they're following this Rasha leader, they're being fooled by him and his wicked speech, when you see that, and you see the guy is living life, know that I'm paying him, I'm fulfilling this verse. I'm giving him all the reward that he deserves here. Why? Because he has no alaba. So let's say he gave some, some of the millions that he took from people. He gave some stakah, I'm going to give him a reward for it. He said thank you to me one time, I'm going to give him a reward for it. He did this mitzvah, he did that mitzvah, I'm going to give him a reward for it. Why am I going to, I'm going to give him everything now? I'm not going to delay the payment. Why am I not going to delay the payment? Because as soon as he arrives at the Bed-Din of Shamaim, guilty. I don't want to see him. You understand? So, Moshe Rabbeinu was told this and he says, listen, so only the things that I did already you can understand. The things that already happened in the past, Noah, Avram Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, Egypt, Paro, Am Israel, the 12 tribes, all that stuff that already happened up to now, I can show you my back and you'll see it and you'll understand. Everything that happened in the back, in the past, I can show you. But you can't see my face and live. Meaning, you can't see what I'm doing right now, and me allow you to understand what I'm doing, and still allow you to stay in this world. Because it's too high for your neshama. So even though he, sh- he showed Moshe Rabbeinu the future, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand how the future can be. Because he saw Rabbi Akiva, and he saw how tzaddik, how much of a tzaddik Rabbi Akiva was, but then he saw the ending of Rabbi Akiva. He saw how Rabbi Akiva was killed in this world. And he asked Hashem, this is Torah and this is its reward? Hashem says, be quiet. You can't see my face and live. Meaning, you can't see the death and say, okay, that's it. It's, the, it's over. No, no, that's just an act, a moment in his life on this world. It's not part of his eternity. So that's the thing that people have a hard time understanding. They think that all the reward is here, but in reality, we learn from Avot, we learn from the Rambam, we learn from the five books of Moses, that in reality, the ultimate reward has nothing to do with this world. You have some reward in this world, but the ultimate reward is not here. No, next question. No, the battery's almost dead, so we have to ask questions quick. Finish. We finished the entire Torah. Next week, it's not the ship. It's not the ship. Anything? I know. As soon as I turn off the cameras, you guys are gonna ask twenty-five questions. Huh? I thought about it, though, Hashem. But you guys forgot to to tell me about uh, mentioning the name. No.
Anybody online have questions? Maybe the better questions. Uh, let me go over there. You have to ask me questions. Oh, they're fighting with the comments? What about Christianity? It said, nah, don't waste any time with these fools. Don't waste any time with these fools. They said, Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen Ve'Amen. Yeah, I'll take